monster, a creature with such horrific features, a lady, a bride, and scary movie fan. Some nerds and their website present this woman and her man. Hello and welcome back to the Bride of the Creature podcast with me, the creature, Joey G. And joining me, as always, the cutest eh, podcaster <laughs> in town, the bride, Nicole. Hello. How are you, love? I'm good. How are you? I'm getting better each time we record this intro. This is our fifth recording. I think the first four were pretty good. <laughs> I disagreed. Yes, you did. And I got my way. Yeah, well, you always get your way, don't you? Welcome to the 100th episode. Woohoo! That's Joey. Popping a cold one. I'm popping. I already popped my cold one. Delicious Diet Pepsi. Cheers. Yeah, fine. We're cheers into it. We made it to 100. 100 episodes. We started back in 2014. Uh, yeah, maybe. Before Something we had like kids and. Long time ago. Now we've. Um, we've done like a hundred and. Two kids and. I think including the ones today, we've done something like 120 movies. Oh, I didn't think about all the verses. verses and the yeah. scream ones and then this and the two son of the creatures. Yeah. So this time it was we let we kind of just chose together, but yeah, because uh, in celebration of 100 episodes, my darling, uh, we are doing another spooktacular. If you heard last Halloween's uh, episode, we did a scream spooktacular yes, where we, we did covered the scream four scream franchise. Yeah. Scream one through four. And we didn't do the entire franchise of this one, but... No, because... Um, but we did all the theatrical We did. Ones. We did the entire theatrical run. So, Nicole's favorite horror franchise is The Scream franchise, and mine is Hellraiser. Yeah, and I had never seen any of them, so I was very excited to do this one. I like how you said was. <laughs> that hurts. <laughs> hurts a little bit. Well, you, uh, you know my, we'll talk about it. <laughs> oh, we will talk about it. So, if you've never listened to the podcast before, this is everything you need to know. We're going to spoil the hell out of these movies. I'm going to read a detailed recap of each of the movies. We will talk about them as we'll we discuss. go through. Oh, I have the hiccups from drinking my Diet oh, Pepsi no. too fast. <laughs> we will discuss it as we go through it. Um, so, yeah, if you have not seen Hellraiser 1, Hellraiser 2, Hellbound, Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, or Hellraiser 4 Bloodlines... Uh, you should watch at least three of Go them. Go watch them and come back. Yeah, yeah, or, you know, don't. Or don't. I'm not your dad. Do whatever you want. But we are going to talk about them now, so let's start things off with yeah, the we're, first... we're already parents to other not... kids. We don't need to parent our <laughs> Why audience. are you doubling down on my not your dad line? We could have just moved on. I'm <laughs> <coughs> I'm dying. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Hmm. A more professional podcast without these kind of things out. Right. We start things off with 1987, written and directed by Clive Barker himself, Hellraiser, based on the novella That Hellbound Heart, also by Clive Barker. It's a very good novella. If you've not read it, I recommend it. Did you read it? I have read it before. When did I didn't you first it. see Hellraiser? Uh, oh, God. Um, Was it back when we watched it with Peter and Monica? At well, I'd seen it. I had already seen it by then. That was I, my first time watching it, but I think I was drinking and I just fell asleep when I watched it. <laughs> Which is not, not actually that different from this time you <laughs> no, watched no, it. No, it was, that was only one of them. <laughs> that was number three. We'll get to it. Um, but yeah, no, I saw this, oh god, not quite 20 years ago, but probably close to it. 
Whoa, and you're like 13? That's young. I was definitely too young to see this the first Way time I saw it. too young. But, you know. I, in my... I'm, I was very mature for my age. I guess 13 isn't that young. But this movie's pretty gruesome. It's rad. Let's get into Let's it. Let's get into it. We open... And Wait, do we put the trailer? We don't do that anymore. We don't? the last time I... When we tried to do it for the Scream movie, I played the trailers in the wrong order. And I just got texts of people, like, giving me shit about fucking it up. No, so... We should have discussed this before the podcast. I, I haven't played it. trailers in a few of them. Well, we don't do it in any of the movies that have subtitles often, so... I know. Let's, let's just start our 100th episode. I don't want to change it now. We're playing the trailer. Pause. Yes, ma'am. Can't find my mouse cursor. I'm really having a hard time finding it. Oh, there it is. I have seen the future of horror. His name is Clive Barker. I love you. <laughs> Yay. Sweetheart, princess, honey gem jewel. Thank you. So that was the trailer for Hellraiser. It's a good trailer. I'm glad you enjoyed it. <sighs> All right. We open on a rejected location from the Indiana Jones franchise where a sweaty man is buying a puzzle box. Wait, really? Or are you just making a joke? No, well, I don't know what the Indiana Jones thing, but we do open <laughs> no, It just looks like a bazaar from Indiana Jones. It does. I thought you were being so sincere, though. I thought maybe you researched this. There's like an interesting fact about the movie. No? Later at night. No. Yeah, see, if you'd let me get to the next sentence, it would have been obvious it was a joke. Because the next sentence is, Later that night at a candlelit junior high school girl's slumber party, he solves it. And then hooks fuck up his face. Buyer beware, I guess. That doesn't make it obvious. But, yeah, he does. Uh, it's Cut two. Well, don't cut me off. Cut two. A grody room full of hooks and blood and chains and flesh. You know, what I assume a lingerie store looks like on the inside. Because I've never been in one. Because they intimidate me. <laughs> we see Cenobites. There are hooks in a bra store. <laughs> yeah, not, not quite the same ones, but okay. I assume. Uh, anyway, we see Cenobites <laughs> and Pinhead who resets the box. You know Pinhead. Everyone, Everyone knows Pinhead. Knows pinhead. Uh, we now we see Larry and his lady friend, whose name I missed, in brackets, oh, it's Julia, uh, are moving into his childhood home. It's weird and gross and littered with his dead mom's religious iconography. And maggots in the kitchen. Yes, exactly. Uh, it turns out that Larry's brother Frank had been squatting there and left a big old mess, including some racy pictures. 
some Ooh, dirty photography, some titty pics. And Julia's like, what? Julia's like, yeah, scissor. Julia and Larry move in. Cut to Kirsty, Larry's daughter, walking over to the house to see her dad. And there she is skeeved on by the movers. Hashtag times up, assholes. Remember how sketchy the movers were talking to his daughter? Yeah, they were gross. And, he, and he's not just like, hey, fuck faces. That's my teenage daughter. Like, boys he's just, be boys. Exactly. He's just like, <laughs> let's move a mattress. <clears throat> uh, moving a mattress. Where did I? You made me lose my place. Julia is having flashbacks to her memories of Frank. Uh, and so, the memories themselves ooze sexual tension. I didn't realize this at first. You had to tell me. I know. I thought they were like, I thought she saw that picture and took them and then was, arou- was aroused by them. And then she had the, all these fantasies in her head. <laughs> I was like, no, this happened. They're flashbacks. <laughs> That's why her hair is different. I thought maybe she didn't like her hair. <laughs> Fantasizing yeah, about sure. her That's hair. a bit of a stretch, different. but anyway, so she has different hair. Uh, she has oozing sexual tension. And then she wanders around the house remembering Frank. Frank, it seems, was a dirtbag. Julia seems like she kind of sucks too. Especially since she literally fucked Frank right after meeting him, like a couple of days before her wedding to Larry. Like on her yeah. wedding dress. Next line, she literally fucked him on her wedding dress. Gross. Yeah. I mean, wedding dresses are expensive. $4,000 sex napkin. (laughs) Gross. At least it was white. You didn't see the love stains? No, then it would show more. Why would white show more? It still stains. Yeah, but jizz stains would show more on black. You're making me gross. I mean, I would say maybe the sweat would show. It would would still be like an outline. It's not going to (laughs) fade to the same No, but my point is it's the same color. Come is white. white as the dress. You don't know what color the dress was. Maybe she got a cum dress. Oh, my God. Cum colored dress. (laughs) Let's hope that um, neither of our moms or our children's school teachers listen to this episode. (laughs) Also, we said cum dress a bunch of times so far. More times than... I think we should rename our podcast. Cum dress the podcast? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's on the list of possibilities. While moving the mattress, Larry fucks up his hand on an exposed nail, which cuts him right the fuck open. It hurts him real oh, bad, and it bleeds so like deep. a motherfucker. Yeah, it's that was watching that made my hand hurt. I was like, oh my... How do you, how do you fucking do that? Like... It wasn't even the sharp part of the nail. He wasn't even going quickly. Like, I could see if you're moving quickly, how that would happen. Yeah, they do, like, a close-up of and it, like, like, tearing slow, the flesh. And, like, the, if you were actually walking, you'd, like, feel the nail and be like, oh, ow, sorry. You know what, though? If you, when, you're, when you are moving something, it's hard. Like, you get the momentum. Like, I scratched the fuck out of my back uh, one time when I was moving something. Gross. Yeah. But what didn't happen to me was That's all my blood ass. didn't fall on the floor in the sketchy room that Julia was hiding Did out. Did you just fall on the ceiling? Yeah, my blood fell on the up. ceiling. Yeah, I went up. <laughs> it was at work. Uh, so Julia takes Larry to the hospital. Who wants to go to the hospital? But the blood absorbs into the floor, and then like a heart starts oh, pumping under the floorboards. That was so cool. And then the floor so starts that's a burbling. That's effect, right? Like everything. Yeah, it was eighty-seven, man. Yeah, so it was really cool. It, was, it reminded me of Edgar Allan Poe. Hmm, Telltale Heart, yeah. Yeah. But then the floor starts burbling, and then two <laughs> burbling. <laughs> It was burbling. That's like the pen also B. Burb- yeah, thanks, honey. <laughs> I'm B word fat. Burbling floorboards. Uh, and two skeleton arms shoot out of it. it and then a cool. bloody disheveled corpse starts to drag like itself out of the air. floor. 
Yeah, it's just, it's rad right here. It was super cool. Later, at a dinner party, Julia is bored while Larry and his friends are braying like donkeys. Right. Was it in the last episode where I made a comment about Julia was Julia Roberts braying like a donkey? <laughs> that may have been in a private conversation. That was, yeah. Anyway, in, she uh, she brays like a donkey. Uh, <laughs> right when the the jewel box. And I'm pretty yeah, woman. forgetting the mo- pretty, woman. pretty woman. Anyway, a dude is trying to get Kirsty drunk. In front of her dad, and he keeps making suggestive like, comments. Totally obvious. Yeah, too. super obvious ones. In front of her dad, and her dad's just kind of like, huh, "Boy's gonna fuck my daughter." Boys will be boys. Yeah, huh, boy, that's the second boy who's tried to fuck my daughter today. Oh boy. Julia excuses herself and goes upstairs to Frank's room, where the blood fell, and she gets grabbed by the scary corpse. It's Frank. And he tells her, "Don't you fucking look at me." It's actually a lot like the scene in Blue Velvet, where Frank tells uh, Isabella Rosalini not to fucking look at him. Huh. I have not seen Blue Velvet in a very long time. Ooh, I just good. know it's disturbed me. Anyway, uh, uh, let's see here. Oh, it says, he tells her not to look at him, but I'm looking, though, and he looks cool as shit. Anyway, he asks for her help. Drunk Kirsty starts to go upstairs, and Frank tells Julia he needs more blood. And so Julia sings, suddenly Seymour. That's a reference to uh, Little Shop of Horrors, remember? Feed me, Seymour, feed me now. Okay. And he keeps feeding the, Thank the you plant for blood. explaining it to me. Yeah. That's a great movie. Kirsty walks down the street with the dude who wanted to bang her. She complains about Julia and how she sucks. And then they make out with the dude. So, I mean, I guess it was consensual, but still, she's drunk, so not cool, man. I guess. I have no opinions about this. You have no opinions about uh, men taking advantage of inebriated women? Well, I feel like she still wanted it. She was drunk. A little bit, tipsy. It doesn't she wasn't matter. Falling down. It doesn't matter. He wasn't drunk. And even if he was, it's not okay unless you're married. Okay. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> pa- I pass. Pass. Kirsty. What? Kirsty has a freaky nightmare, so she phones her dad to make sure he wasn't eaten by a monster. Julia heads out to a bar and picks up a guy who looks like Phil Collins, and she brings him home. Oh, Cheeky. man, gross. This part. This is great, though. Ew, what he says to her. I forget what did he say. He's like, you don't be a fucking tease or something like. Are you was... sure he wasn't just like um, Su Su Sudio? I was trying to think of a good Phil Collins. <laughs> it, it didn't work. So all I could think of was Sudio. <laughs> no, like she's Shit. kissing him and she's uncomfortable and she stops and he's like, "Wait, wait I got, I got, I got." He goes, "There must be some misunderstanding." No, he was really rude must about it. And I was like, "This fucker deserves to die." Mistake. Go ahead. Wait Continue. In the rain for hours. Hammer pain. So yeah, basically, she murders him with a hammer, and then Frank eats him or absorbs him or whatever, and she goes to towel off. Right. Frank is still a spooky monster boy, but he's much more put together than he was. He's still drippy and gross, but before <laughs> he can caress Julia, Larry arrives home, and Julia hides the remains of Phil Collins. I wish it was Phil Collins in this movie. He's just, like, randomly playing the character. Frank tells Julia he needs one or two more victims to fully recover, and then he and Julia will escape before the Cenobites notice that Frank has escaped from them. Kirsty works at a pet shop uh, where a weird bearded man... Oh, this was so Specifically gross. a weird bearded man that she did see the night before when she was with the, the boy, Steve. Anyway, he's in the pet shop, and he eats a handful of crickets. You know, like, as ew, you do. And he's got this big, gross beard. Yeah. And, like... Okay, careful. No, like, <laughs> yours isn't scraggly. It's a little scraggly. <laughs> well, COVID, yes. 
<laughs> no, no, because of COVID. I don't have COVID. Well, yeah, no, that's what I meant. Yeah, I just haven't. Anyway, yeah. this guy's beard is like full of crickets in his beard. It was just yeah. so gross. You don't want crickets in your beard. <laughs> uh, I kept thinking like, oh, yeah, that's going to matter eventually. And then I was like, oh, yeah. And then I remembered, oh, that's right. This guy doesn't actually factor into this movie at all. It's just a cool scene where he eats crickets. Julia brings home another dumb shit and murders him so Frank can eat him. Uh, then her hair grows more and more severe the eviler she gets. Did you notice that? Julia's hair? Yeah, her hair gets more and more, like, extreme. I did not notice It's that. just, like, her her dew gets more, like... Is that something you actually noticed, or just... Yeah, projected? I did, and I wrote here, she's beginning to resemble Jack Nance in a racer head. Her hair just gets bigger. Alright. I believe that it's a metaphor. Okay. I think it might just be an aesthetic choice. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I don't actually think it was because she's getting evil or I was just making an observation. Oh, Julia. Her hair gets more intense. <laughs> I believed you. Ju Julia demands an explanation from Frank who tells her about how the puzzle box opens doors to the ultimates of pain and pleasure indivisible. Frankly, they mostly look like pain. That's like the one yeah. big flaw of these movies is a lot about, ooh, pleasure and pain. I'm like, I don't know, man. This all looks pretty painful. Like, even... At the beginning, they, like, solve the puzzle box. And then it's just, and like, hook face. Hook face. And then that's not... And they're right away in pain. Yeah, it's just kind of like, I'm going to rip that. your face off. It's like, oh, I'm coming, but it hurts so bad. Come dress. <laughs> Come dress. Uh, anyway, I'm just... I'm a little vanilla when it comes to my sexual taboos. <laughs> <laughs> what? Larry, uh, Larry hears noises, and he goes to investigate, despite Julia's protestations. He ends up in bed with Julia. She's like, oh, I'll distract him with my feminine wiles. Uh, but then Julia, while while um, oh, while Larry's yeah. banging away, Julia realizes Frank is standing there watching. Again, it's just like Blue Velvet, but with more rat mutilation and less PBR. Yeah, he's like holding this rat, and then he like kills a rat, cuts the rat slowly, and it shows everything. This movie is very gory, and I am okay with gore most of the time. You I just think. don't like rat gore. It's just was too much. It wasn't too much. You're wrong. I, I think it's more upsetting and gory in Scream. Like, this is very, like, over-the-top, like, gothic. It's like Grand Guignol, as opposed to just, like, what looks like realistic, scary knife stabs. I can handle realistic, scary stuff. I can't handle, like, this, like, torture gore. Oh, I like this a lot. It's beautiful. It's like Hannibal. Julia brings another victim home to uh, feed Frank. Uh, I was like, after this scene, I was like... Oh, no wonder you didn't want to start this. Because a lot of times we'll start the movie while our kids are falling asleep and just pause if they come down. And this one, Joy, was like, Nope. We have to wait till they fall asleep to watch this movie. There, there's no part we can pause at yeah, that's not gory. And I, I didn't believe you until the rat scene. I was like, oh my god. Can you yeah. imagine if they walked down at that scene? Nope. No, I can't. Just like brain, like, like, brain. permanent damage. Exploding. Exploding. Uh, anyway, Kirsty sees Julia bringing home another victim, uh, but because she's the protagonist in a movie, rather than just like go home and tell her dad that her wife is his wife cheating on him, she goes into the house, uh, and there she finds uh, the poor lonely sap Julia was feeding to Frank. So then Frank tries to grab Kirsty like the sketchy pervy uncle that he is. He's so gross. He's like, "Come to daddy." You've grown. You've grown. Come to daddy. I smoked a pack of Pall Malls. This is not what Frank sounds like at all. No. Come to Daddy. Okay. Come dress. Like, <laughs> I said her here, he looks like a freaky, drippy, homicidal version of The Mask starring Jim Carrey. So at this point, I was like, I felt like the first Smoking. bit of blood that he got to make him come back. Somebody's a lot of him came back. And then 
they seemed to like get slower as as it went on like each body he took um didn't bring him back as much and i was like i think they're just doing that so that they can kill more people i don't think that's what it was i think he was you know got a lot of organs in there yeah but the first two like brought him back a lot and then it well, yeah, it was like his bones you think bones are easier than organs God, we clear that? <laughs> uh, so anyway, they have a struggle, and Kirsty grabs the puzzle box and flings it out the window, which gives her a chance to escape while Frank freaks out. Kirsty then faints on the street, as you do, and wakes up in a poorly lit hospital room, where the doctor gives her the puzzle box and locks her in. Kirsty then starts to solve the box, which causes the wall of her hospital room to open, this revealing was a really cool scene, revealing a long, insane, scary passageway. No I reason not to go down it, right? I love any time in these movies that the wall opens up, I'm like, yes, I love it. Yeah, but I'm always like, Kirsty, why the fuck are you going down the sketchy hell hallway? Hellway. Well, she was trying to solve... She was already worried about her dad. So she goes, oh, wow, this scary tunnel opened up. I better go down it. That'll help. Idiot. I mean, wouldn't you want to? Not if I can hear the sound of a child crying echoing down the hall, and then a fucking rad creature thing chases her down the hall again. Oh, that, was it the one that bites quickly? Yeah, yeah, that thing is so cool. I think it's called the Engineer or something in the book. Wait, was it the worm one or the one that bites quickly? Well, there's only one. There was one that was kind of like a worm that hung yeah, from that the was, ceiling. Yeah, it was the same one. It appears twice in this movie. Yeah, I know. I was thinking of the different You're thinking of the one. Chatterer? The Chatterer, the yeah. The Cinnabite. He's one of the Cinnabites. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're talking about the the monster. I think that he's called... I read his name. Yeah, yeah, the engineer. Oh, that's such a cool name. Yeah. Yeah, he looks yeah, like yeah, a big yeah. worm hanging from the ceiling. He does look really of. cool. It, it does look cool. Uh, I like so anyway. Christy. Yeah, she's great. She yeah. narrowly escapes, and upon looking back, the hole in the wall is gone, and uh, she attempts to undo the puzzle box. She's like, fuck this! But the lights go all squirrely, and her IV bag fills with blood, which is a really cool effect, and then it bursts and enter Cenobites. There's blood everywhere. Ding, 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 ding. Bing, 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 bing. Enter Cenobites. Uh, anyway, all your favorites are back. Chatterer, Butterball, Pinhead, and of course, Female Cenobite. It bugs me to no end that in the credits of these movies, all the Cenobites have cool names except for the girl. She's just called Female Cenobite. Yeah. Chatterer, Butterball, Pinhead, and Female and Cenobite. And she just looks like Pinhead light. I think she looks rad. She doesn't look like Pinhead. She's got, like, the weird, like, face fucking circles and shit. I think she looks more like Pinhead. She looks more like Pinhead than, like, Chatter or Butterball does, but she still looks cool. And she's Pinhead light. Okay. Anyway, Pinhead arrives to take Kirsty away, but she tells Pinhead that she knows Frank and that Frank escaped them and that she can lead them back to Frank. And Pinhead warns her, If you cheat us, we'll tear your soul apart. This is what I don't understand. Like, if they can do all these kind of magical stuff in that realm and how do they not know that Frank escaped? Hell's a big place. Okay. They I got a lot that. of people to torture. <laughs> I accept it. I mean, you don't think that the Cenobites just stand there with their, their victims forever. Like, hell's eternal. They got other people to torture. They, like, set them up. Okay, here, All you're right. going to be in the spinning, um, vibrating knife room for a few <laughs> hundred millennia. We're going to go, you know, have a bite and we'll be back and check in on you. Alright, that makes sense. So now all Frank is missing is some new skin. But Larry's about to get home. And he has some skin. Right. So back at the, we cut back to the hospital. Kirsty has flown the coop. Then we cut back to the house. And Julia 
uh, bangs Frank, who now has Larry's face. You see, Frank took Larry's face. His skin. Off. I, I got it. I was doing a face-off reference. Yeah, I got it. Um, Larry, also, he looks a bit like young Quentin Tarantino, I think. Uh, I can see why you would say that. A little bit. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, now you can all picture young Quentin Tarantino banging I Julia. also really like this actor because... He's great. You Like... He was meek and mild as Larry. And then when he is Frank, he yeah. does a really good job of it. You believe that he's Frank. So Kirsty arrives at the house to warn Larry. Too late, dumb shit. Kirsty hugs Uncle Father Frank and tries to tell him that, uh, that uh, tells Larry about Frank, but soon realizes that he's actually her father. I wrote that. I wrote that he's actually Uncle Father Dad. I was wrong. She hasn't realized it yet. It, may, it seemed like she had, but here she's really stupid. So when well, I wrote, she didn't realize not it yet, for a while, exactly. Yeah. So I, I was me giving her more credit than she deserved. Julia locks her in a room with Larry's skeleton, and then Pinhead appears. And Julia and and then Julia and Kirsty have a, like a little tussle on the stairs. And Kirsty then grabs Larry. He's like, "Come on, Father, Uncle, Dad, it's time to go." And then she realizes, "Oh no, it's Uncle Father Frank." <laughs> Uncle Father Frank approaches Kirsty with a knife. But Kirsty has quick reflexes, and she dodges out of the way when he goes to stab her. And he ends up stabbing Julia, Julia by mistake. Oopsie doopsie. And then he absorbs her. Yep. As I wrote here, Not Uncle Father dick. Frank sucks her off and goes hunting Kirsty. Oh, Joey. <laughs> Kirsty then hides among the religious iconography. Finally, religious iconography comes in handy. For the first time in history. <laughs> Uh, alas, she also discovers the maggoty corpses of Phil Collins and the other victims. Yakimo. And then I wrote, apropos of nothing, the statuettes on the railings of the house, uh, they look like the Maltese Falcon. All right. Yeah, not important. Uncle Father Frank backs Kirsty into the murder room, where she gets Uncle Father Frank to admit he's Frank out loud. Smart girl. I'm sorry, I got... Because then Pinhead knows. Yeah, so then yeah. we get one of the greatest special effects in the history of motion pictures as a bunch of chain hooks shoot out of the walls and hook Uncle Father Frank all over his body. And then we get this like wide shot of him standing like all kind of stretched up. And then Pinhead tells Kirsty to leave as this is not for your eyes. But she watches anyway. And then Frank goes, Jesus wept. And then he goes, Pow. This movie had some really great one-liners. I had, like, that's one of my favorite special effects shots in any movie ever. Yeah. When Frank gets torn apart after saying Jesus wept. It's fucking cool it as shit. It is really cool. Female Cenobite then starts to pursue Kirsty, who thinks fast and grabs the puzzle box away from Julia and then unsolves it uh, before the Pinhead can show her such sights. Right? And she <laughs> uses it and she's just like, she goes, go to hell! And they do. Right. She uses it like a laser gun, kind of. Yeah, it's kind of cool. It is kind of cool. She goes, anyway. To all of them. Uh, then Steve arrives. Remember Steve? Her boyfriend? Yeah. Steve arrives to try to help, but he opens the door, and then that hell demon from the hospital, the engineer, comes charging through the door, and then he and the engineer play grab-ass for a while while Kirsty fucks around with the puzzle box, and then zaps the engineer as well. Phew. Uh, Steve's all, Kirsty, you got some explaining to do. <laughs> I don't remember him actually asking her for what's going on, but apparently I thought that was funny. So, okay, now this is where we get into a little bit of confusion for the next movie. Okay. Oh, because, yeah. yeah, the house yeah, fucking was, burns to the ground. This was confusing. The house burns down. Kirsty throws the box into the fire. Uh, and then, But then the that bug hobo. Yeah, the man. bug hobo man with the cricket beard. Yeah. 
Cricket, Cricket McGee walks out into the fire, pulls out the box, and, and then he gets all burned. He turns into a demon. He turns into a skeleton Batman. Yeah, he and flies, flies away. away like a bat out of hell. He'll be gone when the morning comes. <laughs> Oh, boy. And then we see the box once again back at the bazaar from the beginning of Temple of Doom and awaits another victim. Yeah. End of the movie. So, so that's the first one. It was obviously intended to be a one-off. So I remember, because I watched it back then when I was drinking and falling asleep, I remember Christy being the main girl in it, and then when we watched it, I was like, it's Julia. Yeah, it's Julia's. It's Julia's story. Yeah, more. totally. And like, the second movie is Christy's movie. And I wasn't as into it because I really like... I thought I, I thought of it as being like the other franchises of that era, like mm-hmm. Halloween and Friday the Thirteenth, where there's like a teen girl who is the mm-hmm. the main girl. And I think and that's she, why I like this movie. She wasn't, and so I think it took me a little while to get used yeah. to that. I didn't really like Julia until the second movie. I think one of the things I like so much about this movie and this franchise, but especially this first movie, is how it is nothing like the other horror franchises. That's what I was saying um, to you. Like we would we talked about it at the we time. We talk a lot off the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Believe it or not. We talk or not talk for hours. Find things to not talk about. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, that it just reminds me of Evil Dead where like Evil Dead really um, like like chiseled out its own niche yeah, it was of very horror much its own w- thing. with the uh, Deadites. Mm-hmm. And this is like that with the Cenobites. It's yeah. something completely different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really... Uh, appreciated that i'm not the thing i didn't really like about this was the look of the cenobites oh i so i like aspects of them i like the chatterer like his teeth and i liked the um the engineer and i like the names i don't like butterball i don't like the snm aspect of it i just just don't think i don't think it looks cool i don't think it's scary i just i'm not as into it that's fair yeah i mean i couldn't disagree with you more if I tried. Like I know. I mean, I think about the other horror franchises that you and I have watched, and I'm just like, okay, we got big guy in hockey mask, big guy in William Shatner mask, not so big guy in ghost face mask, which is the worst looking slasher. We've talked about this before, but I hate the way ghost face looks. You're wearing a ghost face shirt. Yeah. Uh, at least Freddy Krueger looks kind of cool, but he's just like burn face. But these guys are so different and it so, is so cool, different. and the gore effects are great. The really funny part is that you afterwards were saying, Joey, why did you think I would like these? You know I hate body horror. And until you said that, I was like, yeah, it literally never occurred to me that these are body horror like movies. The, the, like skin melts together. Yeah. Like there definitely is. Yeah, there's a lot of body way. horror in and these I'm movies. And I'm not into body horror. I think there's just like body horror elements in it, but they're not really body horror movies. But yeah, I'm just not into But yeah, no, I get it. it. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, Wrong, but I did but it's like fair. this. The, I liked the first movie so good. as a whole. Like it, it was a complicated story. It told it really well. It was complicated. But it was also very simple. Like it was, it was complicated in that, like yeah, it has to do with like puzzle boxes and death and a bunch of like stuff gets left unsolved and they don't explain things. But it's also sort of just like you know this woman cheated on her husband and then he comes back and she murders her other husband. So it's, yeah. it's sort of like it's a very small story small, with like crazy deep mythology. Yes, that's what I'm. That's yeah. what I'm getting. At. That's the complicated part is the whole mythology, yeah, and it's not you. explained. Which is and what it, makes it, it so good. It leaves it open to you, which I liked, and yeah. it was one contained story. And, and then I liked that. the movie, the franchise is now going to take the next three movies to prove my point about why you shouldn't explain the mythology because it was way better before they tried to explain a bunch of stuff. We'll get to it. Anyway, I did like 
um, from a feminist point of view, Julia is a badass. She's an awesome character, and, and she's only going to get cooler in Hellraiser 2. And I found Kirsty to be more plain, um, and not like the typical, like, oh, badass, she's, she kills yeah. everyone. But she does kill everyone, but I, I felt like I, I appreciated the fact that they she's just left like a person. her that way, because I felt like we could put ourselves in her yeah. point of view. And it's because it's not about cool catchphrases. Like, she gets to say, go to hell, which yeah. is... That's the one line I would take out of the movie, to be honest. Because all the other lines are so strong. Yeah, and like, and in the rest of the movies, they start to have those kind of like horror movie lines in mm-hmm. them. Like, there's a lot of them in three, but uh, this one has "Go to hell," and I'm like, I will forgive it because of how good this movie is. But that's the worst part of that movie to me. Yeah, so I, I found says, like Go to hell. I found it okay that Christy was just kind of a a plain character because we could all just see yeah. from. We could project ourselves onto yeah. her and... She's just a normal person who finds our, this horrific and situation. And put ourselves in yeah. the movie more. Totally. And I've always wanted to be in a movie. Yeah, no. So then Hellraiser 2 happens, and... Um, Here's the trailer. Oh, right, yeah, okay. <laughs> So, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. Did you know that the first Hellraiser movie was supposed to be called Hellbound? I did not know that. But the studio was like, no, call it Hellraiser. And Clyde Barker said, okay. So then he got his way with this one kind of. Well, yeah, so so Hellraiser 2, Hellbound, is directed by Tony Randall. uh, Screenplay by Peter Atkins, who would go on to write other Hellraiser movies and become sort of a controversial figure to Joey. Uh, but uh, Clive Barker basically wrote the story for this movie and executive produced it, but he wasn't actually involved in the screenplay or the actual production of the movie outside of being an executive producer and giving the basic story. Right. So what's crazy is that the actual plot synopsis on on Wikipedia is pretty short, and I don't know how that can be, because I have a lot of notes here, because this movie, a lot of stuff happens, so buckle the fuck up. They, like, 
put everything in the crock pot. Holy shit. TV. This movie has a lot going on. I actually like this movie a lot, but there's a lot of stuff going on, so let's get into it. We open with a fun montage of all the cool, scary parts from the first movie, which happens a lot in this movie. It's like a good little recap. Yeah. Uh, I said it's also weird that Doug Bradley is only billed seventh in the credits. Doug Bradley plays Pinhead, and he is... Without hesitation, the best part of these movies. He's the star. He's incredible. He is so fucking good. He's the face. He's the brand. Every, but like the he's way everything. he delivers everything, even in the yeah. bad movies, he's awesome. Yeah. So I would cool. agree with that. He's always cool. So but we start off this time with regular Doug Bradley, not in pinface makeup. He's a British man with a pith helmet. And he opens up uh, the puzzle box while also, sitting... Also, he looks... I wouldn't have known that that was him because he looks yeah. completely different with hair. Like, Without pins in his head. No, I know, but like, <laughs> but like, actually unrecognizable. I recognized him. Shut up. <laughs> Continue. So he's sitting and solving a puzzle box, sitting cross-legged in a weird symmetrical Quonset hut. Anyway, chains and razors come out, and there's a cool montage of him becoming Pinhead. It's cool. It says right here, it's cool. But why show Pinhead's origin? Oh well. That's going to be a, a common refrain for me here for a while. Kirsty. It was still brief, though. Yeah, it's going to get worse. <laughs> the Pinhead Origin stuff comes back yeah, big I know, time. I know, but... Uh, so Kirsty is in the hospital where a guy who looks like Meatloaf is talking to her. Remember? I was like, that guy looks like Meatloaf. I know. Uh, but she doesn't seem to remember how she got there. Uh, Meatloaf is a homicide detective who is investigating the strange things afoot at the Circle K. He doesn't believe Kirsten's... Kirsten? Kirsten Kirsty's demon fairy tales... I mean, now, who would? I know. So that's why I was like, why the fuck would she tell him the truth? She's an idiot. Yeah. This is like the first of a bunch of stupid things Kirsty does in this movie. I feel like that's a horror movie trope. Yeah. Don't tell the people at the, psychi at the psychiatric hospital about your crazy demon visions. Like, just keep it to yourself. Yeah, just say, ah, oh, there, like, there was a murderer. Like, crush that way down. <laughs> Forget so it happened. We didn't get a very pretentious surgeon, and he's... Uh, lecturing a resident about uh, I don't know, something. Some kind of bullshit. And then uh, Kirsty's flipping out and talking about Cenobites and I just wrote, please stop telling the truth, Kirsty. Kirsty warns MLB. Why did I call him MLB? Oh, Meatloaf. Meatloaf Bronson. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I think his actual name is Bronson. I said M.I.B. Anyway, Meatloaf Bronson, uh, he needs to destroy the mattress at the house because Julia died on it and she could come back like Frank did. Uh, no, Kirsty, the house burned down at the end of the first movie. But we're just going to pretend that that didn't happen. I know, I was so confused. I know, I was like, did the house burn down? Maybe it was just next to it? But no, no, the house definitely burned down. They just yeah. decided, no, it didn't. It can't. We need it for the next movie. One of those Hollywood, dumb Hollywood things. We need this mattress. We need this gross mattress. They could have burnt down the house and had the mattress just... Not burn? Yeah. Or just be partially How? burned. They need a cum mattress. Oh. Uh, anyway. Later, Kirsty has a dream or a vision or something. Uh, and she hears the sound of someone doing the puzzle cube thing. Doing a puzzle cube thing. Uh, the girl the she's... The puzzle cube is very cool. Yeah, it's I actually called... Like, the it looks really cool. I realize that they don't actually name it in the movies, but I know that it's called the Lament Configuration. Oh. Yeah. I forget why I is know there, that. Are they, do they ex actually exist? No. I puzzle, mean, like I mean puzzle puzzles box. do, but not like, that are one. Are there puzzle boxes like that? Yeah. Like to solve? Yeah, and then hell comes. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, she sees a mysterious girl named Tiffany, and all she does, all Tiffany does, is solve puzzles. She's mute. Tiffany is a mute girl who exists in this movie to solve puzzles. She is a very bad plot device. She's the part of the movie it. that annoys me the most. I, I didn't like mind this movie. it at all. I liked her. That's so weird. The things that you like in this movie and the things that I like. Anyway, I, I don't care That's for like Tiffany. That's like the one thing I liked in this movie. Kirsty gets a vision of a skinless corpse writing, I am in hell, help me, and blood on the wall. But when she blinks, the body is gone, but the bloody message remains. So naturally, she tastes the blood to make sure it's blood for oh, fuck's so sake, Kirsty. I'm like, well, what do you think it is? Yes, Idiot. it's blood. But of course, she goes, oh, I bet you that's my dad. He's in hell. Because she's an idiot. I feel like There's that's no reason to think that. I know. I know. It's anyway, dumb Hollywood. Okay, so now I want you to be proud of me here, because that surgeon who was being pretentious earlier, I came up with a great name for All him. Right. He's Doctor Pretentious, because Doctor Pretorius is the mad scientist from Bride of the Creed, Bride of Frankenstein. Very good. Thank you. Doctor Pretentious rides an elevator down to the the maintenance area of the hospital. But it's actually just people screaming in padded cells. The maintenance signs were a red herring. I liked how the basement looked. Yeah. It was creepy. Kirsty tells Dr. McDreamy, that's the other doctor, the one that the Dr. Pretentiorius was lecturing to, he's Dr. McDreamy, uh, that she had a visitor. She then tells him that her dad is suffering in hell and needs help. I swear to God, it's like she wants a lobotomy. She's just asking for She's it. She's asking for it. <laughs> Kirsty tells Dr. Potentiorius about Frank, Jill, Julia, and then Pinhead for some reason. You know, it's a lot. Then we get a lot of recycled footage and recaps from the first movie. So Too much, I would say. Yeah, I figured it's it was kind of like... It's a long movie with a lot in it. Part of me was just like, those special effects shots were mad expensive, so they're getting their money's worth. And I also wonder like, if a studio head was like, we need to have more Xenobite action in this movie, but they wouldn't give them any money to shoot anymore, so they just use the old footage again. But also, I mean, I think they also... One of the things I find about Peter Atkins is that I think he thinks this mythology is a lot more complicated than... Because he's coming up with his whole backstory and stuff... And I think he thinks it's more complicated than it actually is than the thing he's coming up with. So he's showing us all this stuff to remind us, but I was like, yeah, dude, we get it. You open the puzzle box and the guys from hell come out. It's not that hard. He's an idiot. Yeah, fuck you, Peter Atkins. <laughs> I hope you're not listening. I feel terrible. Dr. McDreamy goes to Dr. Potentiorius's house and finds that Dr. Potentiorius is obsessed with puzzle boxes. Oh, the plot thickens. This is where we find out that there are more than one, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. which is cool. It is cool. Uh, so it seems that Dr. Potentiorius is into some freaky shit and has a photo of Doug from the beginning. <sighs> Who's Doug? He's got a photo of Doug? This is from the beginning. Do you remember a guy named Doug at the beginning of this movie? No. I don't either. Anyway, he's got a picture of Doug, whoever Doug is. Oh, aren't you talking about the pin who Pinhead was? Oh, yeah, Doug Bradley, right, of course. He has a photograph of... Thank you, good job. Uh, anyway, he's been researching puzzle boxes, and Dr. McDreamy hides when he hears Dr. Potentiorius something. <laughs> oh, he arrives home with a guy, with one of the guys from the padded cells right. in maintenance. Oh, yeah, and the guy's in the straight really jacket. Sad. He's, like, taking advantage of the Crazy mentally guy. ill. Now, this mentally ill guy is the same person who played skinless Frank in the first movie. Because oh. the guy who plays regular Frank and the guy with, with Frank's shirt off when he's all red is right. a different actor. So you have a thinner guy, and it's the guy who has thinks he's got bugs on him. Because they needed to have a thin guy to, in order to put to all get the, the makeup yeah, on exactly. top of him. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Also, the Julia mattress is in Dr. Potentiorius' study, because we heard earlier him on the phone saying, deliver it to this address. And you're like, Which why also, would the police yeah. let the psychiatrist at the hospital have their murder mattress? A piece mattress? of evidence. Peter, that's a bit of a stretch. Whatever. The point yeah, is he Peter. has it. 
So anyway, um, the, ma the, the, the crazy guy thinks that there's bugs on him, so Dr. Potentiorius gives him a straight razor, and the guy slices oh, himself up all over watch. the mattresses. This is just awful. It was a bummer. But the blood starts to soak in, and suddenly, in what is the coolest shot in the movie, I think, Julia shoots out of the bed all skinless and gnarly, and she eats the guy. She just, like, pops out and grabs him. It's really cool. And then the other Dr. Dreamy is behind the... Drapes. He's hiding behind a curtain the whole time, yeah. But I just Being thought like, that, what the fuck? That, like, Monster Julia looks so cool here. Like, she's so slippery. She can't walk. She's, like, sliding everywhere because she's all covered in gore. It's really cool. It was, it um, was kind of a lot. Yeah. But then she, like, tells Dr. Pretentious he needs to help her. Just like a Frank. Just like Frank. Dr. P gives Julia a cool bandage gown, and then they make out. She has this really cool, like, bandage Like, very, very much, like... Also Lancaster in yes. Red of Frankenstein. Yeah, totally. that was cool. That's when I thought of the Dr. Potentiorius name. Very good. Uh, it's, they make out, and Julia says that now they need some skin. Like before. And then I accidentally skipped two pages again, so I wrote, God damn, fuck my eyes, shit fuck. I hate, when I, hate I when I do that. that. <sighs> uh, back at One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which is what I started calling <laughs> That's the... That's funny. Thank you. McDreamy tells Kirsty he believes her for some... Oh, yeah, because he was at the house. And that Julia he is back. He to bang her. He's like, Julia's back and she's gross. So Kirsty plans to go to Dr. Potentiorius' house to get a puzzle box. Also, her boyfriend just disappears. Yeah, Steve's not in this movie. I was like, oh, That's plus, fine. Plus Steve sucked. Steve. He was barely a character. So to stop Julia from getting fully revived and to save her dad, who she thinks is in hell, McDreamy decides to help her because he's so handsome. <laughs> Dr. P brings Julia a shitload of women and has them all hanging like the meat in Rocky. Hey, Polly, you skinned thought... the... That looked cool. You interrupted my really good joke. I'm sorry. So, hey, Polly, you skin the sisters with me. I'll call you later. Gross. Oh, actually, I'll kill you later. That's even funnier. It's all right. Uh, one rad lightning lit, um, dramatically scored Frankenstein homage later, and Julia is back, baby, but with less dated hairstyle. Her hair is much better in this movie. I really liked Julia as a character in this movie. Julia is so fucking good I think good in the first movie. one I was just disappointed that it wasn't Kirsty as the main girl. And in this one I'm like, oh, Julia's a badass. Yeah, you're like, man, I, fuck Kirsty. Julia rules. Yeah. So, um, while he looks at the uh, puzzle boxes in Dr. P's study, McDreamy goes exploring. Mm. He's about to enter a room when I Julia like finds him. I feel like we're still just at the beginning. I know. So much happens in this fucking movie. It's crazy. Julia finds him and says, uh, don't go in there. It's awful. And McDreamy's like, duh, I'm stupid. Because obviously that's Julia. So why is he just like, don't worry, I'll save you. He's such a fucking idiot. Anyway, he realizes too late that he's stupid and Julia sucks his face off and finishes all her skin. Uh, and then I wrote, Kyle, you fool. This isn't even my final form. Why would I call him Kyle? Oh, I think his actual name was yeah. Kyle, but I called him McDreamy. Yeah, so anyway, she... I was doing, like, a Cell reference from Dragon Ball Z. It's really funny. You think you're really funny. I like to think so, but I get the impression from your whole vibe right now that maybe I'm not. Julia confronts... I mean, this is a long movie. We don't have time for your weird It's not. Jokes. That's what's crazy. This movie is not very long. It's 90 minutes. I mean, you're going to talk for a long time, so... Julia confronts Kirsty, and she does this rad speech about how she's an evil queen this time. This was oh, cool. So I cool. was like, yeah, this is like a fairy, a weird fairy tale. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so then Dr. P wants something. Oh, wants his turn to be rad. So he brings young Tiffany home to solve the puzzle box for him. Tiffany! Hello! May I ask why you thought young Tiffany deserved to die? It's from Men in Black. Zade. Tiffany solves the box, and then all hell breaks loose. Ha! 
Get it? Mm -hmm. The walls open up and all your favorites are back! Chatterer, Butterball, Pinhead, Female Cenobite. Still doesn't have a name. They give Pinhead a much more dramatic entrance when he comes out. And he points out that it's uh, not hands that call him, but desire. So he's not actually after Tiffany at all. Which is... Uh, Peter Atkins ignores his own mythology a lot. Because yeah. in every other movie, whoever opens the box gets killed, regardless of why, whether they knew what it was Even or not. Even, like, the movies that to come. Yeah. Even this movie. Yeah. Later on, anyway. So that part was a little irritating to me. But uh, so anyway, they ignore Tiffany and go after Dr. P, who is uh, wandering the tunnels with Julia. The tunnels in hell. The hell tunnels. The hunnels. Kirsty comes to, and the room is collapsing. So she runs into the hunnels and starts calling for her pa. Mighty brave, stupid, considering the last time she went into hell, a tunnel monster chased her, remember? She's also very brave. She's stupid. But this time, Hell has a crazy circus funhouse motif, complete with evil calliope tunes, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. The whole that. aesthetic of Hell is rad I in like this movie. I like the calliope tunes. Kirsty finds herself in a suburban home with family pics on the mantle. She's foolishly happy for a second, and then the room starts bleeding, and the Cenobites show up. And this was another thing where I was like, why is this? This happens really fast. All of a sudden, she's in a room, and she's like, oh, there was a nice suburban home in this tunnel, and oh, the walls are bleeding. Oh, no, this the Cenobites are here. They pack a lot. In this movie movies. gives you a whiplash. Uh, Kirsty can't send the Cenobites away as she's in their realm this time. Pinhead tells her uh, that uh, he is in... What? Oh, no, he tells Kirsty that her dad is in his own hell. Uh, our princess is in another castle, Mario. So like, Your father's not here. He's in a different hell. Uh, but then he allows her to go and have a wander. After all, they have all eternity to know her flesh. So cool. That was a cool line. Yeah. Uh, Dr. P sees some wacky Lynch sex visions, and Julia has sights to show him. She says the line, I have such sights to show mm -hmm. you, and I was like, yee! She said it. Kirsty finds Tiffany and tries to explain to her that they need to work together, and Tiffany needs to close the box so that they can get out of hell. Kirsty just figures all this stuff out. Nope. I don't know how, but she does. <laughs> Julia and Dr. P find Leviathan. Leviathan is the lord of flesh and desire and her master. He's like a big floating pyramid in the sky. Yeah. Uh, he's a really cool obelisk. This is the moment that you really wish they had some more money. Um, anyway. Julia brought Dr. Potentiorius with him because Leviathan wants souls. And so Dr. P gets grabbed... And uh, you think he's about to get turned into a Cenobite, but you just get a little taste. They just tease you. You don't get to see him yet. But he gets sucked into this whole thing. And he's right. going to be turned into a Cenobite. Kirsten and Tiffany find Kirsten's pop's house. Kirsten has to go... Kirst I keep calling her Kirsten. You have a cousin named Kirsten. That's probably no, why. No, I don't. Nope, you have a cousin named Kristen. Yeah. I don't know anyone named Kirsten. <laughs> uh, inside, there's a weird chamber... Yeah, so she thinks she's found her dad's house. She goes inside this, like, weird place, and there's all these nude ladies writhing around under sheets. And then, all of a sudden, who should show up? Uncle Father Frank. Uncle Father Frank! Silly Kirsty, it wasn't your dad who sent you those messages. You Larry idiot. wouldn't have nude ladies and candles. That's Frank's aesthetic. Like, she's so dumb. Her she's dad so would dumb. never lure her into hell. And why would her dad be in hell? Well, he may have done some shit. I mean, he seemed like just kind of like a nerd. Yeah, he was. Anyway, Kirsty throws a sheet onto the candles, and for some reason that makes everything explode, and that is why I don't allow open candle flames in our house. I know, you're such It's dangerous! Annoying. Ask about it. 
Uh, enter Julia. She has Tiffany this time. Skinless Frank says, Hi, Julia. And uh, that he knew she'd come for him. You see, Frank is an idiot. He really thinks that the new Queen of Hell, Julia, is going to, like, rejoin him. She literally tears his heart out. Kali Ma, motherfucker. That's the second Indiana Jones reference in this movie. Or in this podcast episode. Okay, so anyway, um, but wait, who's this? Who's this rising out of a pit inside a lament configuration? It's, it's... And his name is John <laughs> so stupid. Yeah, actually, it's uh, sent by Dr. Prudentiorius, who has the vacuum suck from Wayne's World on his head. <laughs> <laughs> and so it starts to suck. That's that's what this guy looks like. like. He's this, like, floating guy with a fucking vacuum on his head. It's not the best-looking Cenobite in the franchise, but also not, not the, the worst. worst. Kirsty tries to get Tiffany, while Julia also reaches for her, uh, but... Kirsty sucks. No, what? <laughs> she saves. No, Kirsty saves the day. You're sucking on your on uh, the line. Well, it's because of the vacuum head, and Julia is sucked out of her own skin down the hall, which was really cool. Yeah, it was cool. Uh, Kirsty and Tanya. Nope, nope, not Tiffany? Tanya. Tiffany, thank you. Uh, they. Did you write Tanya? No, I wrote T because I I use um. shorthand when I do these things. That uh, they run back into the hospital, even though the lighting is better now in the hospital. Kirsten, fuck. Why do I keep calling her Kirsten? Kirsty is sad because she never saved her dad. Maybe because Kirsten is actually a name of Kirsty, isn't it? I think Kirsty is short for Kirsten. Oh. Uh, Tiffany comforts her and the two start to leave the hospital. But in the hospital, all the patients are uh, doing PBs. Peanut butter jelly yeah, time. Yeah, what that could possibly mean. All the patients are doing... Oh, puzzle boxes, right. Uh, Lament configurations. And then uh, Ceno Pretorius, John Ceno, bursts through the window. He's got razor blade tentacles and he kills people. Uh, K and T run into all our old favorites. They're back. It's time to play. No more deals. They want her flesh. <clears throat> so she offers information instead. Uh, so she hands Pinhead the photo of Pinhead as a young British man. Which she got in the right the yeah. guy's house yes uh, pinhead is surprised and she says you need to remember remember your human past remember, and pinhead remember, remembers remember remember yeah pinhead and company turn their evil chains on john cenobite cenobite kills the female cenobite and the chatterer and butterball who all fall down and turn back into their old selves uh, John Cenobite plans to take over the Sorry, hell. Why are you calling him John Cenobite? Does know. he look like John Cena? No, because I because Doctor Pretentiorius is kind of hard to say. And I just haven't called I haven't called Cenope here, and I just I like John Cena. All right. Anyway, <laughs> um, he shoots lasers at Pinhead, who turns into a human and gets his throat cut. Right. Yeah. Leviathan then appears in the sky above the One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest place, and Tiffany has to run back to hell uh, to finish the puzzle. Seriously, so much happens, and nothing really makes a lot of sense at this point. But it's just like, oh, yep, okay, let's just go ahead and see what happens. Uh, Kirsty, as long as we got a voucher. As long as we got a voucher. Kirsty runs back in, uh, and they find the Julia skin, and they grab the tiny little obelisk, the little mini obelisk. It's just so much. Yeah. 
Uh, so then Kirsty and Tiffany run back to the maze where Leviathan is. Tiffany approaches Leviathan with the puzzle shard and starts to solve it when John Cena arrives. But before he can kill Tiffany, Julia comes back and makes out with him, which gives Tiffany a chance to solve the puzzle, turning it back into the Lament configuration. But just in time, too, because his head gets torn off by the Leviathan penis. But just, psych, it wasn't really Julia. I knew it. It was Kirsty wearing it. her skin like a soot. Like an egg suit. An egg suit. Come on, Tiffany. Let's go home. Like now. Fucking cheese it. So they're running and they run out. And then movers. Cut to movers packing up Dr. Potentiorius's house. And one of the movers finds the sketchy murder mattress. And he's just like, oh, gross. Are we supposed to move this too? And they're like, yeah, I guess so. And then he gets eaten by it. And, and the pillar. The, 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 no, not a box. The, the, meant, the pillar yeah. of souls, it's called. Emerges and spins around all creepy like. And it has faces of all the different people on it. And it stops on the face of the puzzle guardian from the first movie who says, What's your pleasure? Ugh. So look, I like this movie. It sounds like. Maybe it sounds like I don't, but I actually do like this movie. I love that it just goes for a bunch of stuff. So, but it goes for too much stuff. I, yeah, I was like, This movie was a bit too weird for me. I really. I really did want to like all of these movies. I, Hellraiser is such a big franchise, a big deal for a lot of and horror you love your fans. Husband. I also love you. And I, I just, this movie, just, I wanted it to end. See, this is a movie that I think needed to be 45 minutes longer. Because it oh, jumps no. around so, there's so much stuff that you're just like, wait, we're, we're running into hell now. Wait, what's happening? What's Leviathan? Whoa, why is that guy got a penis on his head? What's, ha what's, ha what's that thing doing? Where, where do these tunnels go? What liked, the fuck's going on? Why say, is she the queen of hell? What I liked about it, I loved Julia as a character so more. Um, I liked Tiffany. I liked that she ran back in. I thought she was a really strong character. She wasn't a character. She has no lines. You don't know anything about so her. She's, she's just a mute. mute girl who solves puzzles. Yeah, but she was really strong when, when she ran back in to finish the job. Only because the screenwriter needed somebody to solve the puzzle to it end the so movie. cool, I thought. And they said, oh, we're bringing this girl. I liked the look of the labyrinth. I thought yeah. having a labyrinth in hell made sense and was really sure. cool. Hell looks cool. In um, this movie. But it just was too much. It was way yeah, too much. It was too short because there's so no, much stuff and short. there's not enough connective tissue, no, so nothing makes sense. Just, if they give it time and explain stuff, then it would actually be fine. They could have just edited out. See, to and the make thing it I, more of a cohesive story. No, that's the problem. Is they edited too much out, and it becomes not cohesive because stuff just keeps jumping around, and character motivations don't make a lot of sense. And also, frankly, I think that giving Pinhead a human background and human history and how he turned into Pinhead because he used to be a British man is uh, it was cheap. Not so good. I found it that to be cheap in this movie and a cheap way of getting Pinhead to like feel but also the fact more. that they kill pinhead and so it's just like oh look he died because we're supposed to believe that dr penis head is the real main bad right? guy in this movie i'm like and he's sense. not good that's what i mean they needed to spend more time fleshing stuff out if you'll forgive the pun so that it would be a little bit more cohesive or just like fire peter atkins and get a better person yeah clive barker it's just yeah i feel like there's a lot of cool stuff in this movie i love that it, i would still take this over just about every other franchise horror movie because it's trying something fucking different i do, I do applaud it for trying something different 
Yeah. But it failed miserably. And also, I know what happens when you try to make Hellraiser movies more like uh, mainstream horror movies, and we're about to find out in Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. In Hellraiser 1, Clive Barker showed you his vision of a private hell. In Hellraiser 2, he took you on a journey inside the inferno. Terror returns in mankind's final confrontation with evil. And this time, it's going to be Hell on Earth. Great club. I really love it here. It's a great club. Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. This time around, I should have brought this up while you were in the bathroom. I wasn't thinking. I wasn't thinking, Nicole. I'm a bad podcaster. So, Hellraiser 3. This time, once again, story by Peter Atkins. Screenplay by Peter Atkins. This one was directed by Anthony Hickox who uh, is known for directing such films as Waxwork and Waxwork 2 and Warlock Armageddon. Um, yeah, so real, uh, real pedigree there. Let's get into it. <clears throat> Tonight in the big city, a cool guy <laughs> What's gets that out of a... From? What? Night in the big city. From my brain. I don't know. I just wrote it down. It's nighttime in a big city. And a guy with a pop... Is it a cool guy? No, you're thinking of the city of Townsville. Oh, anyway, it doesn't matter. A uh, cool guy gets out of a car. You know he's cool because he has a popped collar. <laughs> he enters an art gallery in the middle of the night, as you do. Inside, oh, yeah, like, that's what greasers love to do. Yeah, exactly. But then it actually makes sense. Why? Kind of. <laughs> Inside, kind we of. see the pillar of souls from the first from the end of two mm-hmm. rotating. There's a sketchy fellow inside who sells the pillar to Pops McCollar. He's like, what do you think it's worth? Sure, I'll take that. Because that's exactly what I was expecting. I think we're meant to understand that the guy who sells him the Pillar of Souls is the the guy... You the, wants him to have it. Yeah, it's the guy from the first two movies. The the guy who gives the puzzle box, the bug beard guy. What? Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. I, that's what it's implied, that he's like the guardian of the puzzle box again. Oh, that's cool, I Which, guess. by the way, they abandon in the fourth movie. But anyway. Jadzia Dax is a reporter, and she's annoyed. Her actual name is Joey, but she it's Terry Farrell, and she played Jadzia Dax on Deep Space Nine. So we call her Jadzia Dax in my notes. Well, Joey's much quicker. You raise a good point. So just say her name. But that's my name. People will get confused. No, then what? 
<laughs> anyway, she's a reporter and she's mad as hell. Her cameraman has a cell phone the size of an aircraft carrier. And he gets off the phone because he has to go photograph a real story while she goes home. This movie looks very dated. Yeah. More this so movie than took, the other one. This ones. is in 1992. And the 90s man, always 90s, look dated. The 90s fucking suck. The 90s what movies. What a dire time. A lot of them look more dated than 80s movies, totally. I think. So anyway, a guy shows up in the hospital on a gurney with bloody chains dangling, and Joey asks uh, this shameless hussy who he's with, in the who was she was with him in a boiler room. He's like, "Hey, what happened?" And Joey uh, runs into the operating room, you know, because that's a thing you can do in hospitals, and the chain man fucking explodes. So already, I was like, "There's a nod to." Nightmare on Elm Street with the boiler room. Yeah, the first of many attempts to make this a mainstream fucking Nightmare on Elm Street-like slasher movie. Halloween, like Friday the 13th. For the record, there are eight Hellraiser movies. There's actually ten, but two of them don't have Doug Bradley, so fuck those movies. There are eight Hellraiser movies. This is my least favorite of all of them. I think this movie is bad. (laughs) This movie makes me angry. Yeah, it's... It's pretty it's lame. It's terrible. It's just a lame movie. I'm glad you think so, because I was worried that you would like it because it's more like a conventional slasher movie, and you like those. And not to insult you, but I was like, I'll be sad if she likes this movie better than Hellraiser 1. I do 1. like those movies, but this yeah, was something this is just different. A, yeah, this is just and a it wasn't ver- even a good version of a teen slasher movie. That's the movie. thing, right? Because like, And I, I appreciate slasher movies. Like, yeah. the, I like Nightmare on Elm Street. I like Friday the 13th. I even like Scream. But in to me, those movies are just very good one of those's, you so, know? So... Hellraiser is not like anything else. <laughs> this was the movie that I proceeded just to drink. You sure did. During. You fell off the couch. <laughs> Don't tell everybody. Too late. <laughs> so Joey is fighting with a dirt bag in the editing bay because she wants... Type- also, <laughs> uh, you always make jokes how you're not professional, but drinking while we're watching and getting... Yeah, not just you, drinking. You got Getting shit-faced while watching a movie that we're doing for a podcast is the height of professionalism. <laughs> Hellraiser 3 will make you drink. Uh, anyway, so she's fighting with this dirtbag editor, editor because she wants tight stories, not tight skirts. Good for her. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so later on, she goes to she a nightclub. She wasn't a bad character, I didn't think. No, she's actually fine. Yeah. It's, she's better than the movie deserves. Later on, she goes to a nightclub that has scary murder sculptures, uh, and there's a shitty hair metal band on stage, and she's looking for the shameless hussy. Is that where, though, she first walks through, like... This super rich. No, no, no. We're getting to that. Okay. We're getting to that. Don't worry. Um, I thought maybe yeah. you glossed over that. No, 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 no. We need I don't. to talk about that. She's looking for the shameless hussy because uh, she was the girl who was with the exploding chains man. Uh, and a guy tells her, oh, she's over there in the fancy French restaurant what's connected to our sketchy nightclub. Makes <laughs> okay, sense yes, to this- me. It turns out that uh, Pops McCaller, the guy, owns this whole place. Uh, and then we get a random Vietnam vision of Joy remembering her dad dying in Nam, but it's all a dream, I guess. So stupid. So stupid. I also have problems with the Vietnam stuff, but we can it's talk about so that It's so stupid. That's my problem with it. I don't find it offensive. I just find it offensively stupid. I just find it offensive to take something that was, that is happened in our world and was tra- traumatic for a lot of people, and to use it as a trope and so offhand in this movie yeah if they had used it in any way respectfully it would have been different i don't but disagree they just used with you it as, a, as a trope to for trauma and it, it just i don't disagree with you but they also but like people also rape and murder children and they turned that into a thing for nightmare but on not Elm a street. specific thing 
Not a specific but, event. But Vietnam is a pretty big, broad historical event. It's not like this very specific murder. It's a massive war. I think you can use war, a specific war, as a backdrop for stuff. I I, 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 I understand your point. I don't think it worked but in this movie. I just don't think it was respectful at all. I just think it was shitty, but I also don't think you need to be respectful of a, a war situation. They're not saying that Vietnam was good. It's just like, yeah, her dad died in Vietnam and I that's a I know they source of trauma for her. So I do disagree with you on that. I, I think this movie is stupid for a lot of reasons, but that's not one of them. Uh, anyway, she does find the shameless hussy, um, or rather she actually phones Joey later and they arrange to meet. Or actually what happens is the hussy invites herself to crash at she Joey's apartment. Be- yeah, but for no reason, Joe says, yeah, sure, why not? And then she gets there and starts telling her all about her dream? Yeah. It was so dumb. So I, did, she- I did like the girl bonding. It does get better. This movie. She it's tells her all about her cute. dream. The girls share a cigarette. And then um, she tells Joey about the statue, the chains. Uh, basically, she has a. Uh, also, she has a, a lament configuration in her purse. That she got from uh, Pops McCollar. Anyway, back at the French restaurant slash CD sex nightclub. Um, it's literally like an S&M murder nightclub that shares a building with a fine French restaurant. It's I cannot describe to you how weird this is. It was so weird. I was like, why is this yeah. a thing? Like, when they hear the the music from the shitty nightclub, I metal grunge <laughs> bar. I guess. And this like super fine dining it's so dumb. it makes no sense so he's standing there admiring his pillar of souls uh <laughs> it's like i did good yeah. and then but then i it was like it makes sense that he got it because he would be he would appeal to him for his nightclub yeah but then he like sticks his hand into it as he would i guess and then a rat bites him because there's rats inside of his pillar of souls gross yeah and blood goes into the pillar and then pinhead's eyes open up on the statue because his face is on the statue. Yeah. So Joey and her new best friend go to the gallery, uh, where an old queen tells them that the gallery has been closed for 40 years! Um, Nancy Drew and Bobby Joe. I was going to say, I was about to say this had totally a Nancy Drew vibe. From then on, I refer to her friend as Bobby Joe, because Bobby Joe was Nancy Drew's friend in the Nancy Did Drew. Did you read Nancy Drew? I've read Nancy Drew, yeah. Nancy I've Drew's never cool. read Nancy Drew. Well, you're not as literate as me. <laughs> uh, so they break in with a bobby pin. That she kept in her bra, a brabby pin. Uh, when I watched it, I was like, "That would be very I was, uncomfortable." Like, why wouldn't you keep it in your hair, dummy? Or even if like just like clip it to your bra strap, that would it's be. It's a bobby pin. Put it in your hair. I, I, I get it if you don't want to mess up your hairdo, but just like sh- don't. She also had a purse. Yeah, you, that would it would hurt. Yeah. Anyway, maybe um, she's into pain. Maybe it fits. fits. Uh, So then um, Bobby Bobby Joe finds some loose papers what have a lament configuration on them. Meanwhile, back at the posh French restaurant slash CDS&M nightclub, a generic classic rock bar band is playing extremely (laughs) inexpensively licensed rock music. Uh, Pops McCuller, whose hair is starting to go full JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, I'm not going to explain you that really reference to you. Hair in these They're insane haircuts. His hair is huge. It wasn't that. It was anyway, like a pastor, like from the outsider. He gives a rose to this rosy-breasted pushover, and it cuts to poorly lit and unconvincing sex in front of the Pillar of Souls. Oh, it was the most unconvincing sex scene yes. I have ever seen. The woman in question. What does he say at the end? Or his like just his whole like. Uh, he's very shitty to her, but I'm. You don't see her boobies. 
because his hands are on them the whole time. And, and so I'm like, that doesn't look like sex. That looks uncomfortable. The actress did not want to do top full frontal and oh, refused really? to show her boobs. So the compromise they came up with was, we'll just put his hands on your tits the whole time. Oh my god, this poor girl. So anyway, he's oh, super rude like, oh, to I his... This part, but I have to do this. Oh, I feel so shit bad but for women. Specifically that one. That one. And Vietnam vets. Those are the people that Nicole cares about. <laughs> Pops, he's rude to his romantic partner. And then while scolding him, uh, the Pillar of Souls chains her and eats her. And she becomes part of it. Which doesn't make sense because I she know. didn't open a box. She didn't open a box. She had no desire summons us, not a box. It just was like a nope. random... Yeah. And this is where all the established Hellraiser lore starts to go out the fucking window. Yeah. Uh, Pops McCollar and Pinhead have a little chat. Doug Bradley is so great here. In this movie, like, he gets a lot of dialogue in this movie, and it's literally the only good stuff in the whole movie. Um, it's just great. So Pops uh, shoots Pinhead, who spits out the bullets. It's a, he, And I wrote, he's a fucking pillar, man. What did you think was going to happen? It's so stupid. Pinhead offers Pops a spot at his right hand, and he has such collars to pop for you. <laughs> Joey gets a tape uh, with Kirsty on it, talking about demons. So I guess this is like a tape from when she was in the hospital that they videoed I liked her. This part. It was fine. I, it was the only they had to find a way for to Joey to find it. out. No, no, to, for Joey to to know what's going on. Because she hasn't actually encountered any satellites. So in order for our hero to know what's happening, they had to find a way so they give her a video. I also feel like besides the pillar, this was the only connection to the other movies. Pretty much. Well, it ties into the end of the second one. Because we know that Pinhead died, right? So it does kind of make sense that the human part of Pinhead dies. So all that's left is the evil the pure evil of Pinhead and the soul and the pillar of souls and then the I'm human saying. ghost. Yeah, so that's how they tied in. Yes. You said it, that that was no, you said the only tie in was the videotape. I said the pillar and the oh, video. Oh. Listen to what I'm saying. Yeah, whatever. Do some work. You were drunk. You don't even remember this movie. <laughs> I really don't remember very uh, much about this movie. On the tape, uh, we get non pin all of a sudden non Pinhead Doug Bradley appears and says, uh, Kirsty's telling the truth. But when he goes back, but when she, this is upon being kind and rewinding, <laughs> he's gone back at the enormous New York apartment that Joey has. It Bobby, was a cool apartment. Yeah. And Bobby Joe is sitting there re literally reading a giant World War II history coffee table book. Uh, but she stops doing that to play with the lament configuration. Dumbass, you're the one who first told Joey about it. Anyway. Before Bobby Joe can open the box and get her soul literally ripped apart, Pops McCuller phones and he says he knows he got the number because Joey left her cards at the French restaurant slash sketchy S&M nightclub. He misses her and he wants her back. Yeah, but I'm like, I'm also not sure. Okay, so yes, Joey left her business card, but how does that mean that Pops McCuller knows that's where his ex-girlfriend is, is? Yeah, that makes some it sense. It doesn't make any sense. It's stupid. Anyway, um, Bobby Joe listens to a voicemail that was left for Joey that tells her that Joey she got a job in Monterey. So, but 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 she told Bobby Joe she'd get her a job. Oh, crashed. She was crushed. I know. It's like they had this really nice bonding. Yeah. And because of a stupid and then, misunderstanding. And she was like, "I'm gonna go back with my boyfriend." So yeah, she goes back to Pops McCuller, and Pops is super seductive. 
I mean, not really, but Bobby Joe has very low self-esteem. Very low self-esteem. He tries to get her to like walk, and he's so like not subtle about it. Like, hey, why wouldn't maybe you'd be more comfortable walking over here close to my murder pillar? My pillar. My pillar of souls. And she keeps like not quite going there. She's like, no. Yeah, she's like, I don't want to walk next to your pillar. You're being weird. Yeah. Why do you want me to stand next to your pillar? Ah, no reason. I just think you'd be more comfortable over by the pillar. Cut to another stupid like. Vietnam dream. Uh, but this time it's not Vietnam. It's the World War One trenches and she sees uh, Doug Bradley. Yes. Good human Doug Bradley. Nice Doug Bradley. So Joey gets woken up by the television and uh, World War One good guy Doug Bradley is on the screen going, You've got to help me. Stupid. Back at the love nest, Pops is negging and gaslighting his girlfriend, and finally she walks near the Pillar of Souls, which then yells at her and tries to chain her. But she brass knuckles Pops McCuller. But, because she's stupid, she doesn't run away. She stops and talks to Pinhead on a pole. Anyway, Pinhead's a lot more convincing than Pops McCuller was, so she ends up feeding Pops McCuller to Pinhead on a pole. This makes the face of Sloth from the Goonies on the pole... Uh, and then it crumbles, and Pinhead is free. Now, I don't really remember this part. At this gonna, point, I was good and yeah, drunk. He's going to be Bobby Joe's boyfriend now. Pinhead? Yeah. Okay. Back in her apartment, Joey is woken up by old-time radio, which is in her closet for some <laughs> reason, and it interrupts this broadcast to bring her an important message from good guy Doug Bradley, who tells her to go to the window. And out of her window <laughs> is the Quonset hut from the second movie, for some reason. I actually and don't she, remember this at all. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, buckle up. She walks through, like, a portal in her window and okay. is suddenly in the trench made of dead bodies from World War I. Nope. And there she don't meets remember. and talks to Doug Bradley, whose name was Captain Elliot Spencer. And he's like, a ghost! Okay, I actually don't remember this. Yeah, he tells her about the plot of Hellraiser and how they have to stop... <laughs> hell from raising okay uh then they show clips from the second movie and we learn that the evil was too strong and hid inside the pillar of souls but now it's loose and unbound to his goodness see before hell pinhead was like tempered by the humanity and so his evil was kind of balanced no it wasn't uh he was a demon and then they made him a human it was a bad idea but anyway he tells her that you have to to lure Pinhead with a lament configuration and bring him to ES. What's ES? I don't know. doesn't matter. Back at the nightclub, Pinhead appears and kills a whole bunch of people. He just fucks up everyone this in the nightclub. This is where it went full, like, slasher movie. Yeah, this is where it became, like, Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason but Takes Manhattan. didn't make sense for this nope. movie at all. Or any movie. Uh, so Joey, who is apparently always in bed, gets woken up yet again. Uh, by another news report, just talking about the nightclub really massacre. Likes to sleep. Yeah, she's like, "Oh God, this nightclub massacre! I better call my friend, the roadie from Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, who agrees to meet her at the boiler room." Oh yeah, the boiler room is the name of the bar. Right, but also not too. Like, yes, I don't think street. so. That's what you think. Time for a climactic, generic horror movie battle between a plucky heroine and a monster. Joey walks uh, through the icky murder scene, and, uh, yeah, her friend, the roadie from Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, is already dead. Good thing she called him. Oh, no, she just, like, brought him to his death, yeah. idiot. Yeah, and for an even worse reason, and we're going to get to it. Anyway, uh, Joey sasses Pinhead, who has, he has a lot of dialogue, but luckily his dialogue is great, because he's great. Doug Bradley is great. 
Joey runs out onto the street where stuff keeps trying to final destination her, like water and live power lines for some reason, and the power lines chase her. Okay, why not? Also, why are all of the streets outside this nightclub empty in downtown New York City? It doesn't make sense. So, um, her, her roadie friend has a movie camera face. Because he's a Cenobite now. The Cenobites look like shit in this movie. Yeah, and he looks like shit. He has a movie camera, and he literally has a Freddy Krueger sign about her close-up. And you were just like, oh, I can see why you thought the Cenobites were bad in this movie. And I said, buckle the fuck up, babe, because that is not the one that ended it for me. And then, suddenly, here he comes. Right. Fucking CD player man. A Cenobite shows up. He has a CD player in his head. Because how else will they know it's the 90s? He was the DJ from the nightclub. And he so has, he had like CDs embedded he, in his face like at different them, levels. Like ninja throwing he stars. Them. And at that point I wrote, fuck this, I'm broken, see you at the finale, folks. I wrote a few other things, but I was mostly just like annoyed. It looks like shit. Oh yeah, and then they're in. The, they, they go into a church, and this like priest is like, "Oh my dear, demons are not real. They are merely a metaphor." And she goes, "Then what the fuck is that? Come on!" And then Pinhead stands there and does a stigmata and says, "I am the way." And I'm like, "This is so stupid. There is nothing ever Judeo-Christian about the Hellraiser mythology until this stupid movie." I know. <sighs> I actually do remember these parts now. <sighs> So now Bobby Joe and Pops McCullough are also lame Cenobites. She is a cigarette lady and has like a weird... And he has a weird pneumonic thing in his head. like a, Yeah, yeah. Uh, a pneumatic, not pneumonic. Pneumatic. Pneumonic is how you remember stuff. Pneumatic is like a pump. And it's in his head. And Joey's trying to lure Pinhead to her magic ghost window. And these Cenobites suck. And Joey solves the lament configuration and it pops out like a turret. That shoots the Cenobites with lasers. <sighs> so then we teleport to the opening credits of Anna Green Gables. Where she talks to her dad. In the fields. Right. Remember? Yeah. Uh, so I get. And he says. Oh yeah. Some guy named Elliot sent me. Turns out. Joey is stupid. And just goes. Oh yeah. Sure. Why wouldn't you really be my dad? And so. Why does everyone believe that their dad would lure them to shitty endings? I know. And he gives her the puzzle box. He, I mean, she gives him the puzzle box because she's an idiot. But actually, it was Pinhead all along. Something, something. Window of the mind. Elliot confronts Pinhead. Uh, he starts to make some kind of weird S&M. Oh, yeah. He starts to turn her into, like, an S&M lady. Hey, but then, I don't remember this either. Yeah. But then Elliot and Pinhead fuse together again. So Elliot's influence stalls Pinhead long enough for Joey to solve the lament configuration into a dagger... And, he, and, like, she stabs him, and that, I guess, sends him to hell, I guess, the end. But we do get an awesome Motorhead song in the closing credits that you don't like because you like the Aussie version better. I was like, I know this song. Yeah, it's, it's a song that Motorhead... It's an Aussie song. It, well, it's a, it's a song that Lemmy wrote with Aussie, and they both recorded it, and the Motorhead version is better, but we don't need to fight mm. about it anymore. We've already fought about it a lot. I disagree. Hellraiser! Strongly disagree. So, yeah, I fucking... This movie angers me so much they they try to explain and give so much like backstory to like you don't need to give backstory it's just a cool hell demon it thing just, like fuck off it just was so generic and so boring yeah so i just drank like hellraiser 2 is a mess but it's an interesting cool mess and like the mythology doesn't get too explainy 
But then this one, whoo boy, do they explain a lot of stuff. I will say, I like... And they give you a CD player I like Joey, and I liked the other girl. Bobby Joe. Bobby Joe. Whatever her name is. But I didn't... And I like love Doug Bradley. Else, Doug really. Bradley is great. And like yeah, when he's Doug being, Bradley's always great. When he's being Elliot Spencer, he's like, oh, wow, okay, I, I like this character. I wish that we didn't have his backstory, but I like him. And when he's being untethered evil pinhead, he's really good chewing up scenery. Yeah. But it's just stupid. And the, the guy, the shitty guy with the pop, pop, pop collar. Yeah, pop collar guy was lame. Lame sauce. Well, luckily, the next movie is better. It's a lot better, actually, but um, at this point, I'm kind of just, like, sad because the coolness of Hellraiser 1 is sort of a faint memory at this point after Hellraiser 3. It's, it's we'll so see how true much... because at this point in watching it, I was like, I don't like these movies. I don't like them at all. But then talking about it again with you mm-hmm. on the podcast, the first one was really good. And the second one is good. So the, the second, second one, one is I good. Don't like That's fine. Either, but the second but one is good. It's got a lot of cool is, stuff. The first one is a strong movie. But yeah, this one doesn't have any good ideas. It just becomes generic and stupid and fucking CD player man makes me mad. But there is hope because now we have Hellraiser 4 Bloodlines. Centuries ago, a toy maker set out to build the perfect puzzle box. A gift that would bring enchantment to all who possessed it. He never dreamed that this simple toy was the key to the gates of hell. Do I look like someone who cares what God thinks? Now, centuries later, a scientist has unlocked its secret. And the battle for the future of mankind is about to be fought across the boundaries of time. So yeah, it's actually called Bloodline, not Bloodlines. Sorry, I lied to you. Idiot. Okay, Hellraiser 4, here we go. <laughs> Last one. It was actually directed by Kevin Yeager, who uh, was mo- has mostly directed TV. In fact, I think he's exclusively directed TV. Uh, but he's credited as Alan Smithy because he took his name off the movie. And uncredited Joe Chappelle did some uh, reshoots later on in the production. Why did he want to be off the movie? Because the, he didn't like the changes that Miramax was demanding. And ultimately he decided it was going to be too different from the movie he had already done. They cut 25... Like they cut a bunch... They changed the movie a lot. They changed the relationships. They gave the movie a new happy ending. They introduced Pinhead earlier. They cut 25 minutes out of the movie, which you can tell... I remember we were talking about it. Yeah. I'm like, boy, I think there's a bunch of stuff missing here. But anyway, yeah. So he because it's not even that long a movie. They could have no. Left it's not even this and this movie. I like this movie, but I think it's kind of a bummer because this movie explains. could have been. I mean, it explains a lot, but it explains stuff unlike 
three, it explains stuff in a way that actually kind of makes sense. And you could make if you were going to give a backstory and explain explain the whole history of Hellraiser, this would, this be, would a be a good, good way one. to do it. Yeah. This would be a fine way to do it. But do you think that you um, disagree more with the backstory of Pinhead's origins than the box? Because this is more about the box. Yeah, I don't. Origins. I have no problem with the box's origin whatsoever. But you don't like Pinhead's origin. I don't like knowing, making Pinhead a human or like, oh look, this is how he became Pinhead. I'm like, that's not interesting. Pinhead is a cool. You're right. Demon. I don't think that was interesting it's, either. It's way cooler to not know where the monster came from. Halloween. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, um, anyway. Yeah. Go ahead. Hellraiser Four. <clears throat> Space. The final frontier. And I was like, I didn't know this movie was in space. And I was like, you, you. I assume you must have thought I was joking because I keep calling this movie Hellraiser in space. I did think you were joking. I said that a million times. And I was I'm like, like no, shit, it's honey, space. this movie is in space. <laughs> so yeah, space, the final frontier. In the future, yeah. <laughs> it's in the year like twenty two something or other, twenty one, twenty seven. Uh, it takes place on a discarded set from Stargate SG-1, or sure looks like it. And yeah. that set is floating on a 90s cutscene from a Wing Commander PC game. Again, sure looks like it. Uh, it we didn't see... look that bad. I don't. It didn't think it looked that bad. It looked like a TV... It looked like an episode of Stargate, which is not bad, but it looks like TV. 90s TV. Stop touching me. I'm soaking wet. I'm so sweaty. It's so hot down here. It's not that hot. I'm just fat. Uh, so anyway, we see a robot, what resembles, but is legally distinct from a T-800. It does definitely look like Yeah, you were Terminator. like, ooh, Terminator! <laughs> uh, anyway. His eyes are red. Yeah, he's a remote control robot, and he's solving a <laughs> lament configuration. And I was like, oh, that's a smart way to do because then you're yeah. not the one opening it. The funny thing also, though, is they're on a spaceship what has candles and cobwebs everywhere. I'm like... Why are there spider webs all like, over the spaceship? It was like they were like, the set's not spooky enough. Put some Put spider some webs candles and in here, yeah. everywhere. Make it look like Dracula's castle. Yeah. Hey. But I did like that he had the gloves um, that then controlled the yeah. robot's I mean, hands. It makes sense like, oh, eventually. That's smart. So yeah, uh, the puzzle box opens, the robot blows up, and we cut to a bunch of Starship Troopers approaching. Like, literally guys from Starship Troopers. The Starship Troopers debrief and learn that there's a monk fella, this guy, he's like a monk, and he was the one on the ship, and he hijacked the space station, and it's the space station that he designed. But one of the Starship Troopers is some kind of expert, and is going to interrogate the bald monk. And the bald monk tells the Starship Trooper lady that she doesn't know what she's getting also, into. Also, the lady looks a lot like Mila Jovovich in the Resident Evil movies. I, I could see why you thought that. I didn't think she looked that much like her, but yeah, sure. She had, like, the slick back, short hair. She had a, yeah, there's definitely a look that they give Not ladies back, in movies. But, like, wet but yeah, wet-looking, look. long black hair. Uh, anyway, short black hair. Okay, fine, but it's not short. It's not long, it's that her chin. She, it's a bob. She has a bob. <laughs> she's a bob. Uh, anyway, apparently he built it to catch hell, and then he starts to tell her the history of the Hellraiser franchise. Okay, Bray, strap in. Centuries ago, an occult fella whose name was Philippe designed the Lament configuration. Because he's a now, toy maker. He's yeah, a so toy we, maker. And we now literally cut to a French costume period drama. Philippe designed the box to a very specific set of requests, and he goes off to deliver it in the middle of the night. And he... Leaves his wife and pregnant child, which we know she's pregnant. Pregnant, child? pregnant wife. Pregnant with his child, yeah. Pregnant with his child. Because she's like, you're going to deliver the thing? And he's like, yeah. She's like, no, stay with me. Stay with us. It's like, he's 
going to deliver a box. Relax. And then the typical, like, she takes his hand and puts, puts it, it on her belly. belly. How else will we know she's pregnant? How else will we know? Meanwhile, at a freaky aristocratic Bacchanal dinner party, TV's Adam Scott, his film debut, uh, ties. This was his first movie, yeah. I had no idea. TV's Adam Scott, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> ties a promiscuous French pre- peasant girl to a chair. He plays bad guy very He's great. well. And he murders her for the entertainment and the at the request of this Amadeus-looking motherfucker. This crusty old French fella. And uh, Philippe arrives and delivers the lament configuration to TV's Adam Scott. And they pay him and dismiss him. But because he's an idiot, he peeps. He's peeping. He watches... As uh, Amadeus... He was curious. Yeah, as Amadeus and like TV's Adam cat. Scott carve up the lusty wench. Everything is out of focus and in like weird depth, mm-hmm. shallow depth of focus. Uh, presumably because they spent the entire budget of this movie on the spaceship. So <laughs> they couldn't show much... There's very little gore in this movie because they can't afford it. So we, But you know, we get it. We've seen four of these movies. We see blood. We see chains. We see hooks. We get it. It's not a bit of gore. Yeah. A little bit. Amadeus says some magic words, the lament configuration opens, and what looks like the pit of Carcoon from Star Wars opens, which of course, as we all know, is the resting place of the all-powerful Sarlacc. Uh, it opens, and the dead lady, who what's on hooks, she is back alive, or something. Right. They put magic. a demon in her. Yeah. They put a demon in her, and she is now a sexy demon lady. Her name is actually Angelique, and she's like... In the longer version of this movie, it does explain... The stuff with her and Pinhead a lot more, it turns out, that it actually makes some more sense. I was going to say, yeah. because I feel like she should have been the main... She should have been, like, the Pinhead of the yeah. franchise. She's not based, a cool Pinhead, but yeah. I know, but, like, based on this, the origins... Yeah. So I'll explain it to you once we get to that part the of the movie. part of Based it. on my research. But yeah, I agree. Okay. Uh, so the next day, Philippe is telling this guy what looks like Ben Franklin uh, about there's a box that opens and hell comes out of it. But Ben doesn't believe him because apparently Philippe has never seen Hellraiser 2 when Kirsty's telling Dr. McDreamy stuff. He would have known not to tell the people. Anyway, he basically says, oh yes, but this is the age of reason and if you have built a box, what makes hell come out? Well, the logical thing I to like do this guy. is to make a box what puts hell back in it. I, I really like this guy. He was just so like, <laughs> Matter of fact yeah. about it. It was, like, calming. <laughs> yeah, oh, and by the way, what's he doing while they're having this conversation? He's doing an autopsy He's dissecting a dead body. Yeah. It's not even an autopsy. They're doing, like, they used to do these operating theaters to, like, learn about anatomy by carving folk up. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, it's, like, from hell. Yes, so it, it was, yeah. like, from hell. Like the book from hell, not like the shitty movie. I like the movie. Mm-hmm. But I was in junior high when I saw it, so. True the book, it's brilliant. So Philippe needs to steal the lament configuration so he can reverse engineer it, even though he built it. He doesn't uh, want to steal it, doesn't he? No, he goes to the house to right. steal it. So he goes back to Amadeus's house. Inside, he finds Amadeus is all bloody and dead and whatnot, and the sexy demon lady is having some whoopee with TV's Adam Scott. This was the the goriest scene, I would say. There's like blood all over the walls. Yeah, there's just like corn syrup on the walls, but there's no like skeleton Scenes monsters things. or like hooks pulling people apart yet. Right. So, um, anyway, before uh, he can grab the lament configuration, Amadeus grabs his arm, and then suddenly Sexy Demon Lady is right there confronting him. And then TV's Adam Scott hits him over the head and tells him that his bloodline is cursed forever. But they don't kill him. Don't they try to? We just wait. So Sexy Demon Lady then talks with Doug Doug Bradley's voice, just like in my fantasies. (laughs) So gross. But that, yeah, so we'll get to that too, but that... 
then raises further questions. But for some reason, Philippe's wife randomly shows up at Amadeus's house as Philippe is dying, and he says, you've got to run away, it's too late for me, save our child. But he says it with a French accent, not an English accent. Uh, meanwhile, in space, how's that for a segue? <laughs> Philippe's descendant is the monk, and he's delivering more exposition about how... Uh, the sexy yeah, demon lady. Yeah, it's the same actor. Yeah, plays exactly. him through all the generations. Yeah. There's just three generations. There's three generations, yeah. And he's saying how basically sexy demon lady made a whole bunch more boxes and scattered them around, etc., etc. And then we cut to sexy demon lady holding um, John Merchant's heart. John Merchant is the is the present day uh, Philippe, but he wakes up. It was a bad dream. This is full so of at this point I was like this. Reminds me of a Buffy episode. Yeah, it kind of like, does. Like, uh, she even looks like one of the... Like a vampire? Like Spike's, one of her, his, like, Victorian... Like Drusilla. Drusilla, yes. Yeah. She looks like Drusilla a bit. And I, I hate was that like, I know that character's name. I, I, I just, hate that show. So then that made me like this movie more because I'm a huge Buffy fan. And... I mean, I already I like this movie more because like there's no... Like, it had the tone of a Buffy episode. It definitely it looked, feels like a it TV It looks like show. a Buffy episode. Yep. And yeah. I'm already more in favor of this movie just because there's no CD player, man. But Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, Sexy Demon Lady's still alive. It's the present day. And TV's Adam Scott is also still alive, but they have modern clothes. And his hair is still not great. He has bad hair. So then Sexy Demon Lady starts scratching him really bad. And it's not really clear why... It's, then she goes, you broke the rule and stood in hell's way because the Philippe's bloodline has survived. But I don't understand how that's TV's Adam Scott's fault and why she kills him for it. I also don't understand, like, if she wanted to kill him for controlling her, which he did from the beginning. Of but that her. wasn't why she killed him. She says that, because remember, he yeah, was I able know. to control her. I know, but he's probably stood in her way for other things. Like, it didn't, it doesn't but it wasn't her way, it's hell's way. I know, but but in 200 years of them being together, don't you think that would have happened once or twice? Yeah, I know, but apparently it's only once she appeared to John in a dream that she realizes that the bloodline is still out there. I know, but it is like the feel of like a marital spat. It was stupid. After 200 years, you decide to kill them. There was no reason for it. It was also just like, why does Adam Scott still have to be alive? And she shouldn't be. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Well, it makes sense that she's like a demon, kind of, but Adam Scott wasn't. I guess, but the, yeah, but we're going to get to something else, too, that makes it make not make less sense. Okay. But uh, anyway, so she kills him because uh, he broke a rule. I don't know how it's his fault, but she literally rips his heart out. John is receiving a plaque for architecture. He made a big building, what looks like a lament configuration. And as he gives a speech, he sees the sexy demon lady in the back and recognizes her from his dreams. But she leaves, and then she picks up a chubby doofus and leads him into a sub-garage, like a parking garage area. Oh my gosh, Joey, you were so funny at this part, because you're just, like, making this guy, this guy's face, every time he was, like, excited by her, he'd make this, like, oh face, <laughs> and your commentary on it, this, like, killed me. I don't remember what I said, but you're thank like, you. Oh, 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 oh. 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 <laughs> yeah, he's very excited that the sexy demon lady wants him. But then, she, so they go into this parking garage... She punches a pillar and pulls a lament configuration out of it. Why was there one in there? How did she know it was there? Did she put it there? What? Maybe. Maybe that's just she's like, oh, I'm going to use one. So she just punches. Anyway, she has one. And it cuts to the shirtless man. Is, he's like, he, oh, you yeah, like games. He's, he's now he's shirtless, still, like, though. like, into it. But now he has his shirt off. And I'm like, did she take him home? No, they're still just in the parking garage. Like, but he has his shirt off. I'm like, you idiot. Like, 
a, a girl like 20 times out of your yeah. league is luring you here. That yeah. should be a, a clue. But then she tells him that she has such sights to show him. I think he was hoping it was her boobs. It wasn't. It was anyway, that. wall opens, hooks, chains, etc. Enter Pinhead. Good to see you, Doug. I'm glad you're in this movie. Love the wall open. So then I said, okay, so I guess Sexy Demon Lady knows Pinhead. But earlier she spoke with his voice, remember? But anyway, he calls her princess, and there's a big puzzle box-shaped holocaust coming. And so, okay, from what I've learned about this, there was going to be way more explanation about their relationship and how, like, she's from an older, more chaotic version, like, regime in hell, and he's from a more, a newer version that has much more, like, rule and, like, order and, like, the stuff we've seen of the Cenobite stuff. Yeah, that makes sense of why there was tension mm-hmm. between them. They don't explain it. Like, why they didn't get along. Yeah. Because I'm like, they should be on the same side. Yeah, they have weird sexual... At first, you think they are on the same side? He's like, oh, yes, things have changed in the time you've been gone, princess. I'm like, has she been gone? Uh, yeah, I guess she's yeah, been on Earth. you're right. I like that explanation. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Where did, where did you learn? I read it in the Wikipedia article. Oh. So at John's office, Sexy Demon Lady shows up and... Um, uh, John gets, uh, oh yeah, he has on the wall in his office the plans that Philippe had written, created for his greatest device, but he couldn't, didn't have the technology so, like, to build it. His idea for like a, a good box yeah. was to trap light in it with mirrors. It was mirrors. to use light mirrors. And, and that so far, the, so the light would always be trapped bouncing around on these <laughs> mirrors, which I liked. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Oh, Chase, what did he knock over? Whatever, we'll find out in a bit. Uh, but yeah, so... But my thing was like, well, wait, why does he have the plans in a frame on the wall? Because Philippe died, and he told his wife and son to go into hiding. So we're supposed to believe that she runs home and gets his fucking paper, and then runs into hiding, and it's no, passed I down for generations? That. I believe that, because, like, it, she knew something fucky was going on. So her better husband, go get the random papers? No, her husband had something to do with it. He was planning stuff. Go get his papers, and that might solve something later. Yeah, but as far as she knew, he was just got murdered by French aristocrats. She doesn't know anything about the hell stuff. But she knew he was delivering that box to them. I, I guess. Anyway, we get to one of my favorite parts of the whole movie. Uh, two security guards... Who are twins. Right? These <laughs> twin security guards. Yeah, mom said we had to get jobs. It was uh, like, it was so, it, it just took me out of the movie. I'm like, wait, you're like, are they, they I'm, twins? Like, I'm like, they look similar. I'm like, yeah, they're twins. They're twin so they're security twin guards. they're twin security guards with who are, huge flashlights. Who are working the same shift. Yeah, together. We got the, we got the same job. Mom said we had to stick together. <laughs> so Only one stupid. of us has a cell phone. Um. But okay, so but but apparently their job is to walk around this building with the blueprints of the building and check to make sure that all the doors match the blueprints. They go, hey, this one's not on the blueprints. I'm like, why do you have the blueprints for the security job? They also, for a security job, have flashlights oh, the size of like NASA. They're NASA. NASA. NASA flashlights? Do you mean NASA? NASA. NASA. Uh, yeah, their flashlights are like the size of the Pillar of Souls from Hellraiser so 3. huge. But, so they find a door what's not on the blueprint, and apparently that's not okay. And I, But again, I don't know why they have the blueprints, but they find Sexy Demon Lady and Pinhead and pull guns on them. I don't know what to say here. Pinhead says a cool thing about pain, 
and then chains this is happen. I am pain. I am pain. And then chains come out, and they get f- the the twins get fused together with a mask and a drill. And then I was like body horror. I just don't. Yeah, like but you don't really it. see what happens to them till later. Anyway, John's wife leaves there. So okay, so she's in their gigantic luxury apartment with their son. Now this apartment is so massive and so nice. But doesn't have an on-site, like an ensuite washer and dryer. And the dryer, washer and dryer, is in a sketchy ass. So yeah, she goes down like basement, a bunch of flights of stairs, and then walks through a spooky dungeon that's like eight floors away to do her laundry. Also, just leaves her like four-year-old yeah. son. But while she's in the dungeon, she hears her son scream. So it's she like, runs back up the it stairs. It was so many flights of stairs like, what that, she, the fuck? that she would not have been able to hear her son I'm scream. Like, why did she have to be doing laundry in a dungeon? Why couldn't she have just been in the other room for this to happen? Doesn't matter. Pinhead has captured the boy. It's like trying to be scary and it yeah. wasn't. So Pinhead has captured the boy and says that he's bait. Then the movie basically cuts to John rushing home and yelling for his family. Clearly, a bunch of stuff got cut out here. Also, John's a piece of shit who was about yeah, to he was cheat on his wife with the sexy, with demon, sexy lady. demon lady. But it's just like, what? how did he know that they were in trouble? What is going on? What? Anyway. Yeah, it, it definitely had a, a very clear like cut yeah. in it. Oh, yeah. And the kid and wife are being guarded by a big scary dog. Who looks cool? Uh, John the is... The dog is like also a chatterer. With, like, yeah, it's pretty cool. With its mouth. But then suddenly, now suddenly John is in a spooky murder hallway. And I said, yeah, it feels like 20 minutes of plot was cut out here. Anyway, John finds his family and talks to Pinhead. Uh, and you know, no matter how confusing or silly or stuff is missing it feels, Pinhead's always cool and he always says cool shit. He tells John to finish building the big thing. Uh, he wants him to make a giant lament configuration. I agree. Um, I agree with that. Pinhead yeah. is always cool. Yeah, because it turns out that the Lament Configuration box are only a model. He needs a bigger scale version that would let the Cenobites come and go as they please whenever they want, which is what they want. Uh, at this point, they're making things up and abandoning everything that was hinted at in the first two movies. All the lore that was there, they've just kind of thrown out the window and been like, no, we got a new idea. Yeah. Stupid. But it's at this point, I was like, eh, it's fine. No one has a CD player for a head, so it's okay. The Hell Dog is chasing John's wife, who I'm pretty sure they never name... Yeah. I don't think we ever learn her name, and so I'm like, I know we're supposed to care about her, but as far as I know, she's just a dumb lady who does laundry See, in a dungeon. So normally, and the little boys from the little rascals. I was gonna say, yeah, normally you and I find like kids stuff very triggering. This was nothing. It was nothing. This, <laughs> this was the first time we'd seen him. He wasn't a character. Yeah, it was the first time we'd seen. He this literally kid. just like plays connects, connects, and he doesn't even when he's captured, he's like cool with it. Yep. Kind of. He's like, oh, daddy, and yeah. whines a bit. The dog looks cool, though. The dog looks cool. Anyway, Nameless Wife finds the Lament configuration and opens it up to zap the dog, like Kirsty does in Hellraiser 1 and 2. Uh, Sexy yeah. Demon Lady has John's kid, though, and John types on a computer, and then there is an emission overload, it says on the screen. Emission overload! And Pinhead cuts off John's head, and the kid and his wife run, run away. Great. Oh, but first she uses the lament configuration to suck Pinhead and Sexy Demon Lady back into it. Mm-hmm. So, we now cut to space. Blah, 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 bloodline, bloodline, etc. The monk is finishing his ancestor's work. He summoned Pinhead and the Sexy Demon Lady, who is now in Cenobite form. And she actually looks cool. She has, like, a flayed, like, nun's habit kind of thing going on. Yeah, she It's actually pretty cool. cool. Uh, but the idea was he was going to summon them and then defeat them. But, unfortunately, uh, the Starship Troopers showed up and fucked it all up. 
And we've and got she's taking killed yeah. one by one. And we've got 23 minutes until some kind of solar alignment, which is what we need. Uh, but the social, yeah, so they're all dumb. They fall for the old child in peril gag in a space station. They release Pinhead from the place he was sealed. Uh, so now it's alien, basically, with the starship troopers walking around getting killed by like that. <laughs> by cenobites. It's just, and then, and then I kind of wrote like, why is Pinhead in charge, not her? I thought she was a princess, but anyway, she kills a guy with a mirror. <laughs> Remember? Yeah. She appears in a mirror and kills him. It was fine. The leader of the starship troopers gets smooshed by the twins. The twin security guards are cenobites now. Uh, but then, girl starship trooper locks the hell dog in like an airlock. That makes the dog blow up like he's in a microwave. That was yeah. kind of cool. Pinhead and um, John and Philippe's ancestor chat for a while, but it was all a trick. John wasn't there. He was a hologram, just like Tupac at Coachella. Uh, you see, he was on an escape pod with the lady Starship Trooper all along, and he triggers a thing. The spaceship, it turns out, was actually a gigantic lament configuration all along. Uh, the sun starts to reflect off the mirrors. It's all done with mirrors, you see. And, yeah, we're led to believe that Pinhead is destroyed. And I wrote, yeah, well, four more sequels say otherwise, bub. But then again, those movies take place in the present day, so I guess this could be the canonical end. It's kind of a stupid end, but it's an end. Right. So, yeah, this movie has so much potential, but you can see how much it was meddled with and cut up and It was very, very obviously cut up, yeah. yeah. I do like this movie. It is my fifth favorite Hellraiser movie. Your fifth? Yeah, out of eight. But, uh, you know, it's got... It's goofy, but it's not goofy like Hellraiser 3 is goofy. Hellraiser 3 is stupid. This is just kind of goofy. But had you can see that there was something there that they just weren't able to do because... Uh, actually, you can blame the Weinsteins. Because Bob Weinstein Good. fucked it up. Yeah, yeah, fuck those guys. Yeah, We should have totally. known after what they did to Hellraiser. So yeah, did you like this movie, though? Yeah, I did. I liked less. it that it, like, it was a cohesive... Yeah. Besides, obviously, seeing that things were cut out. Um, but knowing that things were cut out made me... It was so uh, clear. Be, like, apologetic for it, in a way. Yeah. yeah. The three timelines were a cool idea. The middle timeline, even though it gets the most time, is the least interesting and has the most cut out of it, unfortunately. It definitely wasn't the most, like, theatrical. Like I said, no. it feels like a Buffy episode. Yeah. Um, but it's... I like Buffy. Yeah. And after the last shit one... This was great. Yeah. Surprisingly, too, like all the f- subsequent Hellraiser movies after this are straight to DVD, and some of them feel more cinematic than this one does. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, uh, the, the other ones also, they all get a much smaller scale, which is why I, I start to like them a lot better after this, because they end up being more like dark movies that have some um, Hellraiser stuff in them. They're just like smaller stories that all of a sudden, oh, cool, there's Hellraiser shit in this movie. Uh, but yeah, so this movie's fine, and TV's Adam Scott is in it, but uh, luckily after this, Peter Atkins is not involved. Um, I'll just very, very briefly tell you about a couple of the other ones. Hellraiser 5 is called Hellraiser Inferno. It's my third favorite in the franchise. It's actually really cool. It was directed and written by Scott Derrickson, who would go on to make Sinister and the Doctor Strange movie. Nice, You know, an actual filmmaker suddenly did a movie, and it's actually pretty good. Um... Then there's one called Hellraiser. I think six is Hellseeker. And that's the one. That one actually has Kirsty back in it, but uh, she's not in it for very much. She ends up. I liked Kirsty. Yeah, well, she dies in a car crash and her husband ends up. Uh, you know what? The later Hellraiser movies start to be less the big, dopey mythology, stupid things that Peter Atkins made, and more like Jacob's Ladder or Silent Hill, but with Pinhead. Cool. And then um, <clears throat> Hellraiser 7 is called Deader, I think. Yeah. And that one's actually pretty good. I like that one too. 
Uh, that one's got like a newspaper lady trying to solve. It's similar to three, only it's not stupid. And then Hellraiser 8 is called Hell World, and it's like Pinhead comes to terrorize computer hackers who have opened a virtual lament configuration on a website oh, called Hell World. No. It sounds stupid. It's, you know what? I don't mind it. I think it's actually kind of fun. It's cheesy in a way, in the same way that 3 is, but it's not as stupid as 3. 3 is bad, and 8 is just sort of like, oh, that's silly, but it's fun. Mm -hmm. So, while I am sorry that you don't love the Hellraiser franchise as much as I do, uh, I really love, this is my favorite horror franchise. Like, on balance, on average, these movies average out to being pretty great, and they feature Hellraiser 1, which is one of my top ten horror movies of all time. So, of the four, what would you rank the four we saw? Uh, Hellraiser 1, Hellraiser 2, Hellraiser 4, Hellraiser 3. Because that would be, which I'm not surprised, that's what yeah. I thought you'd do. I would do Hellraiser 1, 4, 2, and 3. Yeah, 3 is just a bad movie anyway you slice it. Fucking CD player head. I hate him. The whole movie, that was a bad movie. Yeah, it's just, it's shitty, and I... There are, I would recommend the book. Um, I think he shows up in other books, too. Um, there's also some really good Hellraiser comics. Oh, cool. Yeah, there's some, the Hellraiser mythos is just cool. So I like the later movies where they have small, noiry type stories that all of a sudden have Hellraiser shit in them that are more psychological and back to the helly of the first one and not the silliness of the later ones. And that brings us to the end of our 100th episode, Hellraiser Spooktacular. Woohoo! It was a long one, but we yeah. got through it together. We did. Uh, darling, it's next month we'll be breaking off another hundo. Mm -hmm. Starting episode 101 off with a b -b -b bang. I don't know why I did that. Tell the folks at home what we'll be watching. <clears throat> I picked um, Zodiac from 2007. David Fincher's Zodiac, the best movie David Fincher yes, ever made. I watched this movie in high school. I've been dying to rewatch it, so I thought this would be a good opportunity. Didn't we see it in theaters together? No. Oh, well, I saw it in the theater. Jealous? <laughs> anyway, it's a great movie. I'm looking forward to watching it. Thank you all for joining us and for being with us for however... episodes. If you've listened to all of the episodes, you win a special prize. It's just our admiration. No. If you have listened to every episode, get in touch. Send me an email. Text me. Presumably you know me if you've seen them all. And you or can pick a movie. on Instagram. Yeah, on Instagram. Go to the Instagram. Ride a Creature And podcast. we'll just, on the honor system, if you've heard every episode, even if you haven't, if you're just a, if you like it, send a request and we'll do a, a fan request. Fan. But you know what I mean. Pick a movie and we'll do it. Yeah. All right. Until next time, I'm the Creature Joey G. And I'm the Bride Nicole. Y'all stay sweaty. Kissy kissy. Because it's hot. That's why I'm sweaty. I get it. I'm going to go towel off. How could this woman ever decide to wed this man?